I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Here is episode 265, wherein a very cheery Graham McMillan and a very, very crabby me team up to talk comics for 2.5 hours. Discussed today, the Savage Avengers announcement, Hating Everyone and Everything, the first three issues of LOEG Tempest by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill, Rereading the Invisibles, the DC work of Brian Michael Bendis, the Doom Patrol pilot on DC Universe, Criminal, Wonder Twins, and much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Hello, Graham McMillan. Hello. Hello, how are you? Ah, uh, uh, great. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so listeners, um, uh, we usually record on a Saturday, and uh, uh, earlier this week, I I emailed Graham, <laughs> and I was like, Graham, 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 can you can you record on Friday because my brother's flying in late Friday night for a visit going to be here a couple of days. I want to open up the amount of time that I could spend with him and, and maximize that. Uh, and Graham, being the agreeable sort, was like, sure, yeah, we can do that. And then at work, I was notified, like, oh, by the way, Jeff, there's this big thing that's happening on Friday, and we're going to need help from your department. And I'm like, okay, no problem, yes. And then as it kept coming, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. So I, like, turned around and emailed Graham, and I was like, uh, sorry, I mean to take that back. Can we still do I- Saturday? I want to fill in the blank here, which is the distance between you saying, can you change it to Friday and only joking was a matter of hours. Was it? Okay. In my head, it was like a day. I didn't realize that it was like literally the same day, which would not surprise me. I want to say I agreed to it and you said only joking like in the space of like six hours. That sounds right. I feel like, yeah. Okay. So, right. So that bad, like that, like, oh, this is going to be bad. Well, so listeners, what may amuse you is it was worse uh, (laughs) in the sense that at a certain point around 530 or 6, this thing that was coming together that the night crew was helping with, I was like, there's nothing for me to do. I'll just go home. And then I got home around like 6 or so, and I'm like, oh. What a yokel I am. I actually probably could have podcasted with Graham on Friday night. That sucks. Oh, well, bad planning on my part. And then work got so bad, I had to log in and work remotely from home for two hours. And then oh, I goodness. got off the then, – then that wrapped up around 9. And then my brother's flight was delayed, so it wasn't getting in until 11.45 at night. So oh, I still shit. had two and a half hours to hang out before I went to go pick him up. So at 11, a little before 1145, I live somewhat near the airport. I was like, I'm going to hop in the car and drive over there because I checked a little iPhone app and it said that his plane was going to be landing in like five minutes. So it's a 10 minute drive to the airport, like 15 minutes, maybe if traffic's bad. So I figure like this will work out well, drive there, 
people are driving like insane lunatics. Uh, San Francisco has just been like storm apocalypse for the entire week where it will like not rain and then it will come down in buckets for like 45 minutes and then it will stop and then you'll see the sky. And just as you're like, oh, everything's fine, then suddenly the hail will hit and blind you. So the streets were filled at, on the way to the airport on a Friday night, unsurprisingly, uh, with a bunch of psychopathic Uber drivers whose only goal was to get to the airport at 90 miles an hour so they could eke out something slightly better than minimum wage. So there were, you know, waves of water flying at my windshield for the entire drive. And then when I got there, thanks to the miracle of a little thing we like to call 9-11, you can just drive around the international terminal. And if you stop for more than five minutes without... Oh, God, San Francisco Airport's terrible for that. Someone will shout at you. You can literally be like, no, no, I literally got a text. They're saying they're going to be right out. And someone will just be like, no, leave, 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 until you just want to because you don't want to be anywhere near the shouting person Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Now they just get a meter made to drive around you and flash their sirens and honk their horn at you like oh, wow they don't That's even much worse than yeah it was. exactly and it was bad <laughs> it was bad before so meanwhile while people on, on the other hand people will actually double park in front of you just suddenly deciding to park and then spend 15 minutes getting their luggage out of the back of their seats And that's fine. But if you're not prepared to do that degree of faking it and you're just waiting for somebody, forget about it. So I drove around three or four times and about uh, six times, actually. And about the second time I almost got sideswiped, I was like, "Okay, that's it. I pull into the short term parking. As soon as I pull in, Tim's like, hey, we've landed. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So then I have to drive. It's an amazing amazing pathway to get out of the short-term parking garage like most of the short term of that parking part is the long-term exit yeah so once i got out of that then i started driving around and around and around again and after 15 minutes of that where tim uh texted me and was like they lost my luggage so there's a bit of a delay so first they taxied him his plane landed late then they taxied on the runway for like 15, 20 minutes. Then when he got off, they lost his luggage. So he was waiting at baggage carousel. Then he had to fill out the forms. Long story short, I get home. It's one in the morning, one fifteen in the morning. So we go to bed. I get up in the morning and the nightmare job from work that night has gone so poorly that the people at work are like, hey, the night crew's gone home, but we really need someone before the regular Saturday person gets in who's supposed to start at 10 a.m. Can anyone, we need urgent help. And these people actually called me at six in the morning, but thank God my phone like was like set to fuck you. So it didn't ring through. But I was like, when I woke up at 8 a.m., I'm like, holy shit. So I got up. And then proceeded to work for three and a half hours remotely. Um, and then I, tr- I went back to bed because I was still exhausted and I slept for an hour. Uh, and then I sort of had a mostly lovely time hanging out with my brother. But the interesting thing is I have read comics over the last week, two weeks, not just in 
24-hour period, I planned to read more before Graham and I taught because I sort of liked to read on Saturday night because I'm an old man and my memory is bad. And it's also sort of pleasant to have a few hours to just do nothing but read comic books. But uh, even without the events of last night and this morning and, you know, uh, almost right up to this afternoon, uh, I would still be inclined to say a lot of comics that I read were just hot garbage, except maybe not even hot, maybe just just bad. Just <laughs> lukewarm bad. garbage. Yeah, lukewarm garbage where you can't even warm yourself on the garbage steam. So I am very excited to talk to you in that case. Ah, I, uh, I want to preface all of this with Jeff. That sounds terrible, and I'm really sorry. Oh, thank you. Um, do you feel slightly better now? Sure. Yeah, I, I'm rested. I had some pleasant conversations with my with my wife and my brother. And how how long is your brother there? Uh, he's here through Wednesday. Oh, so you you will hopefully get spent because I'm presuming you're off on Monday as well. I, I I am off on Monday. So there you go. So you'll get to spend some quality time with them over the next few days. That's good. Because sure. the terrible job is over, right? Who knows, Graham? Who knows? Uh, I thought no. it was over last uh, night. You know, when I went home at like six o'clock, and it proceeded to haunt me for the next fifteen it hours. It proceeded to not be over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh Lord, I'm yeah. sorry. That, that's okay. That's okay. But I do. I'm, I'm kind of in a shit mood. So in the past, you've sometimes told the viewers in advance when you're grouchy and i thought like oh that seems you know sort of a uh, interest of full disclosure sensible thing to do you know so well i, I want to fine. uh immediately say i am not grouchy oh good first of all so hopefully jeff and i are going to uh balance each other out like a, a finely balanced meal i will be the sweets to his sour or vice versa depending on what we're talking about Secondly, I want to say that I have only read really old comics this week. Oh, nice. And so anyone who's hoping for anything up to date, I'm sorry in advance. Mm-hmm. Thirdly, I was going to uh, ask, had you seen something that it only struck me maybe about 10 minutes ago? That Of course you haven't seen. I was going to ask if you'd seen the Doom Patrol pilot. No. But how could you? Right. You don't have a subscription to DC Universe. That is correct. That is correct. Yes, I have not seen it. Uh, I heard many good things say about it. I presume you also haven't seen uh, The Umbrella Academy, which I also haven't seen. Purely for lack of time, but yes, that is correct. Uh, Were you a fan of the comic, The Umbrella Academy? You know, uh, I know a lot of people really loved it. And, of course, the uh, art team on it. That is the nicest way of saying no. Uh, What it is, is the classic embarrassing Jeff admission that used to happen a lot more when I had an extensive comic book collection of, I think I bought all the issues and never got around to reading them. So, yeah. I don't know. I heard good things. I've got to say that I have, uh, when I say I've been reading old comic books, they're not all old, old is the thing. Mm -hmm. Partly what I've been reading this week is, I, you know this, Jeff, I I get comp copies of things. Mm Mm-hmm. And sometimes I just put the comp copies away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then sometimes, like, for example, this week, I happen to be going to the bathroom thinking, well, this is going to take some time. I want to grab something to read. And I go, I never read the DC's Beach Blanket Bad Guys special from maybe eight months ago. Wow, it's that a was a short thing? St- wow. It's a bunch of short stories. Maybe wow. I should read that. Wow. Also, their Cursed Comics Cavalcade from Halloween. Yep, went through that this week as well. Wow. Again, these are months old, and mm-hmm. I got them as comps, and I just didn't read them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, like there are many things. Uh, I told you 
I told the, the listeners as well that I, I'm doing the, the sort of grand New God reread, which was started by the fact that I bought the uh, Return of the New Gods comics mm-hmm. like half a year ago, if not more, mm-hmm. and just didn't read them. Mm-hmm. Just, I, was, I kept meaning to. I had the best intentions of reading them. <laughs> it just it never happened. Mm-hmm. And that's it's just what happens. You you really you buy things and you're really like oh no like right. I'm, I'm definitely like I'm I'm gonna make a point of reading this. You say to yourself right. Then just something will come up and you will forget that you made that point. Mm-hmm. So I I completely understand. I 100% understand. Well, I I'm glad. I I do I do appreciate that. It's it uh it's something that I said on Twitter and if there are other people on Twitter, maybe they'll want to do the same, although from what I can tell uh I I tweeted at Comicsology support um the the Twitter account and was like, "Hey guys, it would be amazing if you could add your own customized smart list, you know, so that you could put like Books that you have been meaning to read or like interconnected books in a series or let's say you want to follow Jack Kirby from one publisher to another or even just in my case, that thing that I bought two months ago that sank to the bottom of the digital pile that I want to start reading, but the in progress pile just doesn't do anything for me, it doesn't fully work for whatever reason. So, mm-hmm. and they were like, oh, sure, we, we'd love to. They, they were like, yes, absolutely, we can do that. But what they meant was, we can absolutely mention it to the developers. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Exactly. I mean, you know, they're, they're really sweet to people be fair, on that sure. team. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know. bless them. What is the social media team actually going to be able to do? Right. Exactly. I mean, I thought I'd mention it, but I mean, if you think about it, I, I'm sure Comixology has all kinds of metrics and they're like the majority of the comics that are bought are new comics and comics on sale. And uh, it doesn't really do us any good to make it easier for people who buy too many comics to necessarily read them as long as they keep buying you, them. You say that, but wouldn't would there not be value in moving the back catalog if you can argue that the back catalog has some coherence to it? Well, I would you know, like if, if mm-hmm. you're saying, you know, hey, new customer, right? You've just realized that Jack Kirby isn't shit, right? Uh, and you're really into them. Mm-hmm. Well, here's here's your Jack Kirby list. Well, yes, even better. And this is what I was thinking. If the readers can create their own smart lists and then we can share them sort of like you do on Goodreads such that they don't even have to co- create the content themselves. They just have to go to, you know, um, Horny Boner 267's Ultimate Jack Kirby list. You know what I mean? And you can is look at your, it. Is that your name over there? I, I, not, I didn't realize. It's not, Graham. There, it might, there might be an extra digit or two <laughs> in the title. So, uh, you know, I, I say that as a joke. A part of me is also like, wait, do we have usernames in Comicsology? <laughs> that's how, that's how rarely I'm on that platform. You Are know, there actually users? What, what I think is interesting is, is that they, they ask people to write reviews. I don't think you can write reviews in the app. You can write them on the website. So I have never tried. Whereas I think there's like a, at the end of every book, there's like a, tap to rate and it's just a number of stars and i just don't really b- believe in that as a rating system you know what i mean 
I might tap out a review if they had the access to that. But I know from taking every goddamn comicsology survey that came down the pike for years, they're always like, do you want a social experience with your comics? And I was like, no, I just want customized smart lists, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I, yeah, I really don't want a social experience. Right. Please. No. Ex social exactly. There's social media for that. Right. I don't need that. Right. But part of me was like, eh, you know, I sort of enjoy part of, uh, I, I, I part, I enjoy part of, uh, the Goodreads experience. I don't use it that much. And, and I would have to say the big detriment of Goodreads, which is weaponizing a mob of customers against a creator, is something we already have in comics already. So it's not like we would be creating a monster as much as just, you know, you know, harnessing a monster. Yeah, kind of harnessing a monster. Exactly. Which is really the best you can hope for of out of capitalism these days, late stage capitalism. I was like, I think that this I think this is a good idea. I think this is quote unquote, a.k.a. I think I can get things that would be beneficial out of it. I mean, let's face it, Graham. How nice would it be if at the end of every episode, you know, we could oh, have we, a link. Yeah, to, we could literally share the like. These are the books we talked about this yeah, this week. Exactly, and it was like you know, and then people can just click on that link, go into the Comicsology app, and then they're all there and and pick the books that they want. Or not, I was going to say, know? not that we expect everyone to listen to this and then go and buy what we're talking about. I I, I don't even expect people to listen to all of us, frankly. The number of people I've talked to who are like, I really enjoyed that six minutes of your podcast that where you talked about that thing. I'm like, okay, okay, you say that. <laughs> But I know this to be the case. You were as blown away as I was by the response to Drock. Yes, that's true. Although I have to say, I'm basing this on the fact that my brother only listened to the first six minutes of, of Drock. But to I mean, be fair, fair. That's, to, that's all, I mean, to be fair, six minutes more than he normally does. Well, no, I mean, he was the guy who harangued me into doing <laughs> show notes way back when. Then he stopped listening to us because, as he said, my opinions became asinine. But in the case of Drock, it was more the fact that I didn't give him credit because he was the first Judge Dredd fan in the uh, in the family. You did give him credit. I know he didn't hear it. I don't think he stuck around long okay, enough. But, but you ex you explicitly said that it was your, it was your brother's Eagle Comics. Yeah, I, he thought that it was – he made it sound like – I didn't say it was his bro – my brother's. He he, he said he, I made it sound like it was my Eagle Comics or my experience reading Eagle Comics. He's like, you didn't say it was your brother's Tim, Eagle Comics. Tim, he, he did. He said it was yours, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. We're, I mean, as I said, like we're like 10 minutes into the episode. He wouldn't be listening. Oh, yeah. No, he's not even listening. He's in the next room now. He's doing everything <laughs> in his power not to listen. You know what I mean? Like he's literally <laughs> – so anyway, uh, what was my point? Yeah, no, of course, Graham. People aren't going to – but people – A, we've had strong experience to Drock. B, as you know, nothing makes me happier when people pick up books that we talk about and recommend, and people actually have done that, not just on, on, on Judge Dredd-related things. So, you know, I think, I think that that's – again, I see the utility in it, and it would even be the utility that could help them move some product. But uh, as – uh, Flash. We, we are not. We are not in charge of. of we're not in charge of comicsology, and people have been mentioning it for years. And as far as I can tell, it'll never, ever, ever happen. But if you're listening to this and you have a Twitter account, you know, tweet at comicsology uh, support, and maybe you can change 
this or alternately do sink into a, a mire of nihilistic um, loathing, much like myself. It's like a win-win if you think about it. If this episode's title is not a mire of nihilistic loathing, then mm. we clearly turn things around after these first 50 minutes. <laughs> I, I suppose that's one way to look at it, Graham, yes. <laughs> it may just be that I forgot that that was even halfway alternative as a title, and I'm like, shit, what am I going to, what am I going to talk you're about? Good, no, but you're going to edit this, and you're going to be like, oh, shit, I should wrote the, note that down. I was actually Fire thinking of, of calling this episode The Savage Jeffengers, because, uh... <laughs> you're, I, not, you're not excited by Savage Avengers? This is why I think there's something in my soul that is broken, because I'm like, they're putting Conan... On a that, team. Jeff Lester of like 10 years ago would have loved that shit. The, the Jeff Lester of 10 minutes ago would have loved that shit. I'm like reading the announcement because I only read it 10 minutes before we talked. And I'm like, why, why, why am I not, why am I not loving this? Why? Oh, I, I've got to tell you, I heard that and I was, I honestly was like, of course they are. But also, is this a joke? I have to say, the one thing that I thought was interesting... It's the Avengers who kill, and Conan, and you're like, really? Yeah, I have to say, there's a, there's a couple of things about it. Oh, shit, that's what I forgot to do this week. Oh, well, we'll have to talk about that off-air, because it's something that's podcast uh, website-related that we had all talked about that I utterly fucking forgot about until now. So... Uh, well, just tell me, otherwise we'll forget. Did... did did you guys start that Punisher roundtable without me? Did no, anything no, happen on that? No, oh, thank no, God. Okay, okay, okay. I'm just thinking, like, there was a point no, where yeah, it I, popped yeah, up my, on my and I both and I completely, completely uh, did not. We should have. But, yeah, we both forgot. So, you know, they, they've they – I was looking at that cover, which is drawn by David Finch, which doesn't inspire confidence. Um, it's, it is a very David Finch drawing, though. If you like David Finch and – Basically, like, especially like David Finch of like New Avengers days, so like you know, fifteen twenty years ago. Then that's that's. Let's be right more specific, place. Graham. If you like the David Finch of fifteen to twenty years ago, and you were interested in buying a commissioned piece for him that someone had paid paid him half up front to do of Conan on top of all the rest of the savage Marvel characters. And then that person's PayPal payment got rejected when Finch was halfway through the drawing. And then he decided to stop and not complete it and then put it up for eBay so that he could make some of his money back. If you're a fan of that David Finch, it's definitely the cover for you is what I would say. That seems honestly a little harsh, but you did say that you're feeling grumpy. I did, and part of me. Did, was... uh, I, I will. I will say this thing about because it, honestly, to me, it just seems like a very generic David Finch drawing, but not necessarily any worse. I don't know. Than other David there's Finch no drawings. background. I mean, maybe there's Again, not a background. You, I was gonna say, have you looked at most of his new yeah, Avengers covers? That's true. He at least remembers to put color back there. Anyway, the point being. Back at, there was a Marvel Knights where I think they did an event. They did a maybe it was the De Savage Defenders, or it was like Punisher and Elektra and maybe Ghost Rider and maybe Daredevil and maybe someone else on a team. And I was kind of like it. I again, it's that thing of like, oh, this should totally work for me. 
And my experience dipping my toes in, first off, once you put Punisher on a super team, it's going to fail. It doesn't work. Like, you could put Conan, uh, Conan on a team of other superheroes, I could almost see. But when it's Conan and Wolverine and Punisher and Elektra, you know what I mean? Like, it's just salt with salt with salt on top and then some salt. And I, I'm okay with salt, but I'm like, maybe you want to put the salt on some chocolate. Maybe you want to put it on – I mean, honestly, let's face it. This is why there's a certain brain-dead population of which I consider myself who think that Deadpool's great innovation is that you manage to still get all the shootings and beheadings, but you also get jokes. Like, they're not going to put Deadpool on that team? I don't know. Maybe maybe David Finch put him behind Brother Voodoo, or there's some other person in the middle that I know that I'm forgetting. But, you know, I, part of me is just like... That team just seems dull because what's going to happen? Admittedly, Jerry Dugan, who wrote a lot of Deadpool, maybe he's coming in at issue two. Maybe Dugan's got like a great idea where he's going to write uh, Frank Castle more like, you know, the Frank Castle of Cosmic Ghost Rider. And I can go put my head under a steamroller. I don't I was know. Say, please no. Yeah, right. But I just kind of had that thing being like, yeah, I am a crabby ass, crabby ass guy. Because back in the day, I would have been like, holy shit, that's going to be incredible. And then it would have been, holy shit, what happens when they lose the Conan license again? And that's, time, that was my – that honestly was my first thought when I saw it. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this seems like a really bad idea. Yep. Yeah. Like you're you're basically making a comic that you either think you're never going to lose the Conan license or you're making a comic you can't – uh, reprint. It's the true collectible. License. It's a true collectible if you think about it. You know, no, I actually, I do think that uh, I at that that was the point where I started wondering, like maybe Conan is owned by Disney under some shell company or something. Like, like it's super point, weird, right? It just didn't. It there was something about it that just seemed insane. On the other hand, maybe they were just like, sure, why not? Most of these books only last twelve issues. We're Marvel. We only really exist to flood the market. You know, why not? So, you know, I mean, it sort of makes sense. They can't keep any of their soft cover collections in print anyway. So, you know, I don't know. uh, Crabby. I'm crabby. Let's just set the whole industry on fire. Graham, do you remember like two episodes ago before we revealed that we were doing Drock? I joked about how we were going to do an episode called Battling About Bendis. Yes. I do you think, want to do it? Is that yes. are you there? Yes. Oh, I I was kind of there before and oh ha, ha, ha just joking. There. You you actually were kind of there before. Yeah. But after reading Superman issue 8, I am so there. I'm so there. And I have to say the great thing is I think my hair would be on fire if it wasn't for the fact that thanks to the Baxter building, I read all those Franklin, Nathaniel Richards, Time Lord, <laughs> you know, issues. The, 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 yes, solidly the uh, inspiration, I yes, think. Yes, exactly. For, for what is going on with Jonathan Kent right yes. now. Yes, yeah, yeah, Except, yeah. of course, Jonathan Kent is really just being, like, groomed for a Legion of Superheroes story. Yeah, they, well, you know what? All I I'm can say is fuck them, then. At this point. Yeah, fuck Fun them. Vince at this point, that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. No, that's actually a great theory, which I remember you mentioning and blowing my mind before. But at this point, I'm like, I don't care. 
it's Graham. I don't know. Again, maybe it's just me, but I was excited that Bendis was taking over these titles. I was really excited. And it's eight issues in to Superman and Action Comics. And again, it's like this little, it's kind of like the comics market itself. It's like, it's a downward trend with an occasional bump up when a new storyline starts and then back to a downward trend. This, the, the whole sequence, Bendis, I like I like Bendis's insights into Superman. I like Bendis's insight into Superman and Lois Lane. I like Bendis's dialogue in a Superman setting that makes it seem more peppy and screwbally. But Brian Bendis has been a victim of his own success because his storytelling is so lazy panel by panel there's pages where it's like oh okay the flow from here to here from there to there but the fact that this is the second issue of jonathan telling us what happened with crazy jor-el grandpa like a bendis doesn't seem to realize how dramatically inert this is nor frankly does he seem to care in any way and on top of which all it really does is I feel like he's tying a lantern on the lantern on the lantern that he tied to the idea that Jor-El in this particular conception doesn't fit in with Superman. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah, it's a bad idea. But then that idea of him being, oh, no, it's going to be OK. Tie a lantern on it. Someone thinks this is a bad idea. No, but who knows what they know. Tie a lantern on that, but they probably are going to be wrong. To the point where it's like Jonathan, like after having a scene where the two of them interact and then Jonathan's like telling his, that's when I realized I wasn't in space. It wasn't fun times with grandpa in space. It was I'm trapped with a crazy old person, you know, in the cold, in the cold of the interstellar void. And part of me is like, not only does that scene not, realize that it's just it's it's just bad graham it's really bad and i'm angry about it not even in the oh i spent money on it because you know me i'll spend money on anything practically <laughs> it's just more the idea that that it's it's like i got my hopes up and 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 bendis is doing this thing of if i just write nine books for dc at once and am working hard all the time, I won't have to face up to the fact that I can't um, I can't shape a story to save my life. It's the opposite of Fraction. Unlike Fraction, who then locks up and produces nothing, like Bendis just like, it's like scattershot, you know, buckshot everywhere. But it's it's just, it doesn't it's ah, i'm so fucking frustrated i like I, I that can tell. i'm super I, yeah I, I honestly kind of want to derail you by asking what you mean about the the fraction thing but i also feel like that really would just utterly derail you oh i, I don't Cause I, cause I, I don't think i understand for me when fraction gets to a story beat that doesn't work he knows it and he freezes and either his only way out is 
to meta around it, which is like that one issue of Sex Criminals that came out after like a long gap or whatever, where it was supposed to be the confrontation issue. And he just it ends up being the conversation between Fraction and Zdarsky about the confrontation issue. And he skips over the scene. He fills it with all this other stuff, you know, comic angst, haha, fun, fun, and then cuts back in. And it seems to me like his production of issues started to pick up then. It's like he hits a period where he's maneuvered himself into a wrong corner or is he knows the story beat is bad, but he can't figure a new way out of it. What Bendis does is Bendis commits to the first draft, which the problem with comics is and the advantage is they are they are so frequently a first draft. And then and then he, you know, is just like, I'll just power through. And again, it's that idea of like no one can really accuse him of being like a quote unquote lazy writer or whatever, because he's writing 15 first drafts at once. But his ways of jumping into the story or the ways that he thinks that he's telling a story that he's jumping into, like, I honestly thought the the jump between the ending of Young Justice 1 and Young Justice 2 was a little, like, abrupt. And, you know... I, I, I've got to admit, Young Justice 2, part of me was like, did I miss something? Yes. Because I didn't realize that all of the characters had ended up in Gem Worlds. I thought it was just... Right. The uh, ones you saw on the impulse. last page. Yeah, or, yeah or, and right. Paulson Robin. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then they're all there, and I was like, did that happen? I mean, but I guess it happens. They, they're all there, but they're also not all there together. Like, you don't know if they know that each other's there, because there's clearly a section where it's like, Jenny Hex and Teen Lantern are in one group and Robin's in another part. And of course, Wonder Girl gets involved after what is some shitty ass shit between her and uh, what's his dude, Zeus, that I was just like, Ugh. that went on again, went on a little too long, which I mean, and that's the thing. If you're willing to give benefit the the bendis fit of the doubt you can kind of be like oh yeah okay so yeah the pacing's a little off there oh, that scene went on a little too long or oh, okay well you know he got himself stuck in a corner like there's there's a way in which you know jack kirby who's like one of the world's greatest cheats when it comes to wrapping up a story it's kind of like yeah i cut mr kirby a certain amount of slack because you get 90% of the delight before someone then he invents a new power that no one has ever shown before to get them out of the, the you know the situation that he's written them into on the last two pages. And you're like, okay, continuity is not his thing. Eh. You know, you can sort of kind of do that with, with Bendis. But for me, I just feel like taken as a whole again with the tapestry if i read two books and both of them are go from like charming to like charmless I, and not and not entirely charmless but just dangerously slapdash i just yeah. find myself being obviously dangerously annoyed and i'm and i'm honest to god here like i read superman 8 i must have read it on wednesday which who knows maybe that was when my week started to fall apart and maybe that was it auto buy downloaded it when i got into work you know 
maybe read it on my lunch break. And I was just like, you know what? Screw you, you know, because it really is that that's the other thing that drives me nuts. Whatever you can. I it is. I don't think there's anyone out there today except somebody who's going to write in on the comments and, and is going to horrify all of us who would say that Tom DeFalco is a better comics writer than Brian Bendis. Um, and yet part of me is like, I gotta say, out of the sure, crazy like, ass maybe soup, he is. maybe he is. You know what I mean? Like, at least when there was all the shit. I, I love, love, love that you said nobody would say this apart from someone who's gonna write in the comments and terrify us. And then you literally turns to the listeners and pulled off a mask and went, and that man is me. That's right. Please look for sock puppet born. What what did I call it? Bone horny horny oh, boner God, horny boner two nine six seven. Yeah. Yes, anyway, yeah. so yeah, my look for my sock puppet coming to a comment thread soon. No, I I mean no, but I mean like nobody would say that in the sense of oh the success and the acclaim and something. But I, part of me is like I would because at least after artificially aging Franklin up like in the space of a panel, uh, you know. We then go to have Nathaniel as the as a, a potential threat or is he the threat for kind of a number of years? And you keep throwing other stuff out there like the fact that that John disappears in Man of Steel and is back by whatever it feels interminable. Yeah, well, he's, Superman, back, he's back five, by issue six. Six. He's back by issue six. Six. Superman. Right. So it's there's not even there. Not only do we not have a vacation from Jonathan. There's not even kind of a sense of wait, milking the wait. suspense and the mm. and the you know what I mean? Like there's no No, I, I I actually do disagree with you there. You have the six months of Jonathan being gone. Uh-huh. And definitely I have no idea if you pay attention to people on the internet or not. Like people thought Jonathan was just written out the book permanently. Um oh, but yeah, also because he must Bendis must have done such a great job with foreshadowing that they all thought he disappeared. You're right, Graham. <laughs> But also, moving. Uh, <laughs> like Franklin, you don't get any. Like, there's literally no break of Franklin. Franklin ages like in a panel. No, agreed. But that's the thing. It's not. It's not. But why he? Are you, aged, are you saying it's neither fish nor fowl? By in terms well, no, of no, no, no. Sorry, right, I with, guess what he's doing with Jonathan. I, I do, or because I don't see how you can complain that Bendis is doing something that Franklin gets like that Tom DeFalco does less of what okay sorry I yes no I know and I what it is is I'm conflating things like on the one hand Franklin disappears between panels but the why of it and even the the character's belief of that goes on a ways and it is used as a way to seed other stories you know other other storylines other story ideas how can how can you be how can you have like rose tinted spectacles for the nostalgia of tom defalco's fantastic four well i'm just saying i'm just saying the execution was lacking but in the sense of there being like and, and and let's face it, what like, DeFalco I, I honestly, was doing – wait, wait, wait. Let me get through here. DeFalco is doing – it's a little bit of a con game. And, it, again, he's trying to do what the X-Men stuff was. But it's that oh, idea sure. yeah. of there's so much vague foreshadowing that you realize is essentially second, 
third slash third season of Lost, you know, that that's just like is vamping. But at least there are how do I put it? There's so many threads that are being thrown down that then can be picked up and sewn together if somebody gets their shit together, which, as we saw, you know, DeFalco did. Jonathan disappears for a series of issues. He comes back. Everyone immediately believes that it is him. And all the little scanning and the checking and the thing isn't to show, oh, no, it's really our son. It's like, oh, is he okay? Was it cancer? Is it kryptonite? And meanwhile, he's there being like, no, it's okay. It's me. Like, there's no there's no point to the scene. Like, at every point, Clark and Lois can't doubt that John is who John is. So it's Bendis upending that dramatic convention on its head. But the flip side of it is there's nothing there. And similarly, in the way that you could have had Jonathan disappear for however long that it was, and you could have had people actually mention to Superman, oh, I heard about your kid, or, oh, you know, so that wasn't you over by blah, 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 or anything, any kind of seeding of anything, so that there was a sense that, a, when this happened, it was going to be a big thing um, when John returned or that there was something that was cooking or percolating. Like Bendis seems so close to creatively bankrupt in a way that he is spinning as I am filled with ridiculous amount of confidence. You will not believe what's happening next. Hey, it's Leviathan Arises, and guess what? Jorel might be a bad guy. Ha cha cha. Like, by the time you get to the end of the ship explodes and Jorel's like, I'm sorry, and gets morphed away and spoilers everyone, John's up against the criminal crime syndicate of Earth 3. I'm like, who cares? Because he's in the room telling you, you know what I mean? Like maybe Bendis <laughs> I, has gotten so jaundiced with that idea of nothing's going to happen to these characters. Therefore, the tantalizing aspect is what happens when blank meets blank. Um, I've, I've, I've got to be honest. I am jaundiced enough to find that aspect of it more appealing than any false jeopardy of is Superman's son going to get killed by the supervillains? Cause like I, I would never expect them to do that. So the, you know, he's fine. Why is he fine? Aspect is of more interest to me. Really? Cause I'm part yes. of me is like, great, Graham. I really, I look forward to you enjoying future movies where people sit <laughs> in a room and talk about the adventures that they had in flashback. Brian Bendis no, is the I, adventures I, no, of flashback I, man, because we're all aware that nobody ever dies. It would be one thing if it was going to be a narrative twist, but, but the guy is not even, he's too self-satisfied for that slash busy working on 15 books. His big twist is going to be like, Oh, but you know what? Like, Warrior Princess is actually going to give him something that's going to mean a lot and let him go and teach him a valuable lesson, which is it's good to be hot or, you know, whatever it's going to end up being. And I'm just like, I, I just I'm just impressed at how much Bendis manages to lower the stakes while trying to up the hype at the same time. And everyone's kind of like, 
this this exciting feeling that I is that I, I don't realize anymore is disappointment just is coursing through my veins with every issue. You know, it's the blah, Graham. Blah. Tell me how you really feel, Jeff. Well, I got to say, somewhat ambivalent. So yeah, no, I. <laughs> <laughs> all of which is to say everyone i'm sorry and there's a lot of other people who i actually like and respect more in a way than brian bendis so i will not actually be actively shitting on their books and just assume that you had a bad issue or two but uh yeah i i oof, i gotta say that in oh no i want to know who, who else's books you're gonna shit on well i i, I want to name names in part because we've done complaining about Bendis here before. I want a surprising person you're going to shit on. I don't I – don't, well, see, this is it. Bendis is the worst because I feel like Bendis is the most richly rewarded. You know what I mean? So there's a way in which – Okay, so, so like Tom King isn't in there because Tom, I would say Tom King is more richly rewarded than Bendis these days. And also, to be fair, you shitting on Tom King would also not be a surprise. Well, yeah, exactly. There's nothing new there. But like, you know – I read Green Lantern issue four. I kind of liked it. It was it was pretty good. I read. <laughs> a more... I love you're like no. I'm I'm actually looking for the ones you're going to shit on. I know you are. I know you are. And I'm trying to hold out to. You to are. That's names. what's fascinating me. Well, I gotta say, I, on the one hand, part of it was this is on me because I I complained about it last issue. But I picked up Goddess Mode issue three, and that was clearly a mistake. And it's a shame because I honestly wish nothing but the best for Zoe Quinn and Robbie Rodriguez. I just have to hope that someone buys the TV slash movie rights for this book so that I can be like, oh, good. They're going to turn out fine because I thought I thought Goddess Mode three was somehow worse than issue two. For me, in terms which you of, you were you're very much not a fan of. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean that might be overstating it because what I said was kind of like eh, I feel like it sort of suffers from kind of that like first issue itis like there's a certain amount of too much telling, not enough showing, too much world building, not enough dramatic stuff going on, and issue three felt like more of that it felt like but it also sort of reached into and maybe this will be a huge success of kind of that greg ruckaitis of like oh my god i love these characters so much and i'm like i don't i i don't i don't i don't really know who any of them are basically i mean one's sassy and snarky and the other one's snarky and sassy you know what i mean like it's just kind of like didn't it it didn't work but pardon me is like but i honestly genuinely wish those people well you know um mm -hmm. i for whatever reason uh i i really do like mark russell a ton i bought red sonia didn't read it read wonder twins issue one and it didn't it it didn't do much for me there was the point actually where the super friends were telling their super friend stories where I was like, oh, this is this is kind of cute. But I I, I I found it such a weirdly heartwarming book. <laughs> like, I honestly was like, this is sweet. Yeah, I did not expect sweet. 
Yeah, but I mean, you know, so is type two diabetes, Graham. You know, like you are in that bad mood. Tonight. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you I really are. I mean, everyone. I kind of knew you were earlier when yeah. I was like, you were like, people might think this. And I was like, people do think this, and you're like, well, fuck them. <laughs> I kind of got the hint then that you're in a bad mood. Yeah, but I thought it was sweet. So is type two diabetes. <laughs> you really are just cranky. I love yeah. it. No, I'm glad you do because everyone's like, this is great. I can't hit unsubscribe to our podcast you know what else that i read that that also people are going to love this people are going to be very happy what nuts tell jeff you're happy that jeff right really he's he's actually actively shitting on stuff like this is what this is what you said you keep saying that you're not you shit on bendis and that's it and honestly you shit on bendis last time as well yeah you're you're like you shit on bendis every time it's kind of like the bendis shitting of memento you know what I mean? Where it's just like, it's, it's like, like you know, it's, it's the bend shitting segment of the podcast. It's, it's, it's like I take off the shirt and it's like shit on Bendis. And I'm like, okay, must go shit on Bendis. And then I look at my elbow and also Tom King. It's like, oh shit, really? I've never shit on Tom King. Cause I've no, got some I feelings think, about I, that guy. Cause, yeah. Cause here's the thing. I think you've moved past Tom King already. I think you've actually like, I think you've, I'm trying to think of a good way of, of saying like you've, you've, you know, you've finished with him. I, I feel. Yeah, I, I think feel, that's true. I think that's. I feel you've got nothing true. more to say about him. You know, I think there's also a little bit of the fact that that. Well, there's there's all the stuff with Batman that's going on. I think there's also kind of the part about uh, Mister Miracle where it's like Mister Miracle's good. So what the hell is happening here with this thing? But I also feel that Heroes in Crisis. By being at least, I mean, maybe it's still selling like hotcakes, but being kind of like widely loathed on the internet, except for you, is kind of a thing <laughs> that that kind of helps feel. It's a little because honestly, I've just not seen people talking about listeners, it. Listeners, I, listeners, no, get yeah, to no, the yeah, comment please, threads. Please, Let us know. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but I see people no, who I'm are not, just I'm as not unhappy. Seeing people like it. I'm seeing just the opposite. I'm saying I don't see anyone talking about it. Well, I think because people don't want to talk about it because it, maybe because it sucks or who yeah, knows? Well, alternately, well, maybe really, it's fine. Like, like the first couple of issues I saw basically people being like, I'm like, I'm not digging this slash. I think Tom King is running a CIA mind up and everyone. And this is like the opposite. You know, this is this is this is exactly like this is the, this is the this is the zenith of his plan. Um, but then after like issue two, I honestly feel like no one's been talking about it, which kind of is worse than people shitting on it yeah sure i mean in terms of there's there's not the controversy if this, yeah, yeah if this is meant to be like the big book and like mm-hmm. you know they're going we fucking killed off poison ivy you know we killed off flash did we Ooh, who knows you kind of expect that someone was hoping it was going to piss someone off yeah definitely and, uh, and it's not it's, it's doing nothing no I, I i think that's it i think people have kind of if nothing else i well who knows all I can say is I feel like I've seen other people who are kind of like Tom King has had a bad year, which is kind of interesting because he really did finish up Mr. Miracle comparatively recently. And yet I feel like between the recent Batman arc of, ooh, I'm having dream sequences, it would be great if it was called that. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's Heroes in Crisis. Yeah, that would be great, especially if it's got the ooh in there because it's, I don't know, there's just something – that would be fabulous. You know, I mean, it's kind of amazing that he's taking a Batman arc and modeling off a of Cerebus the Aardvark riff. But at some point, it's it's just, you, you gotta, there's gotta be... Some Here's better. the thing. 
I I love Tom King. I really do. Mm-hmm. And even I was like, yeah, but modeling off Cerebus is a big change from just ripping off Alan Moore every two seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh Fantastic Four number one. I don't know if you heard about this, but Marvel apparently relaunched the Fantastic Four with like Dan Slott. Oh, and it, it. and it just showed up in Marvel Unlimited, it did. didn't it? It did. And I was like, ah, reading 420 issues plus annuals of the Fantastic Four. Wasn't enough. I, I you know, I had a little bit of like, oh, I've got, I've got a little bit of, let's see how this is going to, let's see how they're going to take these it. these guys. Yeah. Yeah, so so then I read the book, and then I I had to go out and push someone down the stairs so that I could feel better. Um, you were kind of like, ah, because I remember asking you when it came out, and this is it, listeners. Everyone is. It's just me being mad at Graham. It's not me mad at comics. I'm apparently mad at Graham, which is which is terrible because I love him, but apparently not enough to like. I um, seem to remember telling you that you would not like it, Jeff. You probably did. I seem- I seem to remember being pretty clear that it was not something that you would enjoy, or also something that was not particularly good. So you if you're said, about to tell you me said that, said it was you. half a good comic. You were like, it's it's half of a perfectly okay comic. I'm kind of you yeah, like half kind of, of a perfectly okay comic is not a good comic, Jeff. Okay, you know what? This is where I've fallen for it again. The Graham McMillan ins- insistent. No wonder why you like my trash talking. Your trash talking sounds like compliments. No wonder we've worked together for so long. I finally understand. I can't believe it. All this time you were saying good stuff about me. I realize now you must have been trash talking me. You're like, that was half of a good point you made, Jeff. And I'm like, hey, I made half a good point. Now I know. It's not a good point at all. When I just hang up and the podcast stops. See, Graham wanted the pissy takes, but only to a point. Anyway, Fantastic Four number one, not, oh, it's not good. It's not, I didn't think it was good. And there's a thing where part of me is like, how do I put it? Like, it's, I think I mentioned the fact that I had picked up on during one of Amazon's like, here, let's be, you know, super cheap with Marvel's trade paperbacks digitally because they don't care. And then suddenly they had to care because of retailers. I picked up like volume three or five of the complete Wade Waringo Fantastic Four, read mm-hmm. it and thought that it was pretty charming in a in a charming kind of way. In a in a completely like weirdly generic but fine way. Yeah, in kind of a Mark like, Wade. It, do, it does the job if you, the job is literally can you publish a comic called Fantastic Four? Right. That, that is actually an Incredibles comic. You know what I mean? Like, it was kind of a weirdly reverse-engineered, like, I got to write The Incredibles. Actually, I think that was after he did his FF run. But it, it really does feel like more like The Incredibles than the FF. So, Slot's thing, particularly the whole, like, oh, and here's a story that happened when we were in space, you know, where, like, Johnny sings them in singing Donka Shane or whatever. And I was like, this is... This is Wade Waringo tribute band stuff, which is kind of interesting. It's not necessarily it's better than if, you know, uh, Slot was like, I, I, I can't tell you how much I loved, you know, Mark Miller and Brian Hitch's. Oh, I was literally going to go there. Yeah, I figured you would. And <laughs> and so part of me is like, that could be worse. Like you get the little. Like the the fact that the first issue of the Fantastic Four has 
uh, Dan Slott being like, oh, we need the warm and fuzzies. Like the FF are about the warm and fuzzies and I'm going to hit the warm and fuzzy button at least three times. You get Ben Grimm with kittens. And then if that's not enough, then you get Ben Grimm like, you know, proposing to Alicia and – you know, you get Johnny Storm singing their way home in, through space in a weird like, and that's oh, like that story that takes up four pages or ten pages or thirty pages. I don't even remember how much it is. Is a story that again, slot being like Brian Bendis is the most successful author. I too can throw in a digressive anecdote that serves no point other than just. Oh, and out of it, I got a thing that will be the point of the next scene that will climax into driving you on to the next scene, et cetera, et cetera. Welcome to story, or as I like to think of it, the treadmill. Um, I It just doesn't feel, it just, blah. It just didn't like it, Graham. I, I, I know that's shocking, but I really had this thing. I, like, you're, you're talking so positively about it, and this week you have shown that you're a big fan of comic books. So I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't like it. <laughs> I know, I know, Graham. I used to like comics. Oh okay, my god. Here, okay, here's the question: What have you read this week that you liked? And I'm not being sarcastic. No, 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 no. I, I totally get it. Uh, what did I read? Because um, it's also, Jeff, you're reading comics that. Kind of you knew you wouldn't like, if that makes sense. I want to give them the benefit like I, I feel, of the doubt. I feel like you're like no, 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 like, no, no, no. That is not fair with response to the Wonder Twins. Like I said, I was that's true. That's I, true. The Wonder Twins is is something that you might have liked because you did like uh, Mark Russell's earlier stuff. And and I spent a lot of time talking about being surprised by how much I liked Man of Steel. And feeling like I was giving it a chance. Yeah, but at the same time, being like optimistic. Every, every subsequent issue of Superman, you have not enjoyed. And not enjoyed more so. Yes, that's like what, by yes. issue, But, but right. by issue eight, you should know that you're probably not going to like that comic. Right? I don't know. Like, I mean, yeah, sure. Like, admittedly, I'm a but sucker. There has to be something, there has to be something you, you liked or something that you didn't. Like, I feel like you're almost self-torturing by reading things okay. that if you stopped and thought about it, you'd be like, I'm probably not going to like this comic. You know what? I sometimes think that what it is, is that when you're a kid, anything is better than Keep nothing. Away. You know what I mean? Wait, what? where were you going with that? I was going if you're a jet or when you're a jet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm sorry I missed that. When you're a kid, you're a kid all the way. Anyway, you're, but yeah, it's you 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 read something and you're kind of again. There's that thing of like, oh, you don't you don't even necessarily realize that what isn't there isn't there because again, you're a kid. You just assume that it's an adult thing that you don't get. Or even there's just a thing of like, well, this is better than being bored. And I think as you get older, if nothing else, your dread of boredom it either diminishes or certainly in the last 15, 20 years, there's a lot of things to distract us from the idea that the world is falling apart under our feet. So you're kind of like, ah, why am I, why, why is this thing, ah, you know, it could be the Roman emperor thing of like, I have so many choices and I'm so spoiled that just something that isn't. You know, that is only 90 
100% pleasing is loathsome in my sight. But I think, honestly, uh, it has a, it has a lot to do with, like I said, I listed out all those things that I liked about Bendis's Superman and 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 back in the day, maybe it was like, oh, that used to be enough. You got a little yeah, shot like- of your like, oh, they had a little quirky dialogue or ah, oh, Superman's a loving dad. How great is it that Superman could be a dad and he's a loving dad? You know, well, not only that, like some of the things that are actively annoying you about the comic are things that in if you were in a different mood, I think you might have appreciated. Yes, there's times where I'm like, wow, the lack of a story is. Oh, my God. See, that's <laughs> Never <right>. mind. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you back down from that fast, Graham, I tell you. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe it was because it was like a few weeks ago. But, of course, I read Immortal Hulk issue 13 and I liked it. I read Avengers issue 14 and I, I mostly liked that. I read Female Furies issue one and I, I liked that. I read Criminal Issue Two, and I I mostly I, quite I like that. God, I really want the Criminal to be the one you're going to surprisingly shit on. I I you know I was looking at when, it when you're I like was, you know mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to spare other people's blushes. I was like it's got to be someone like who Suffy really normally likes and probably knows. And I was like it's Ed Brubaker, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a criminal? Does he not like criminal? I li- that was literally where I went. I was like, he's just being nice because like he didn't like criminal. Yeah, no, actually, I thought I thought criminal was uh, was 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 pretty was really enjoyable. I did not necessarily like the last two pages per se because the last two pages were like, and here's where the crime comes in. But the but the rest of it kind of important verbico well. criminal. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, so this is, and this is part of the thing that I think is interesting. Is do you, do you know what the current issue of of Criminal is about? I, no, I, I, no, I would be entirely lying if I said I was paying attention to Criminal and anything other than uh, oh, I, I like it's nice that they're doing that. And it's a success for them. Wait, yeah, but right. like I'm so disconnected from Criminal. Uh, so. So they brought back Criminal, and instead of it being like the, for interestingly enough, rather than it being a self-contained set of uh, miniseries as it has in the past, my understanding is um, they brought it back with the idea of it being an kind of an ongoing, being able to dip in and out of stories that they want to tell, and usually it's characters from previous arcs that you see in different ways or different contexts. So uh, if I'm remembering correctly, the cartoonist character that was uh, the protagonist in A Bad Night or A Very Bad Night is here seen several years earlier um, where he is has more or less it's before he picks up in his cartooning career again he has um sort of quit the cartooning biz he's offered the opportunity to essentially be an uh an escort to the artist for whom he was an art assistant for uh for this comic-con because the the burnt out comic artist is the guest of honor at this comic con mm-hmm. and specifically requested Jacob as the dude to um, be his handler. And yeah. so it's them hanging out and the comic artist, the jaded veteran comic artist uh, is clearly up to something a little shady, but you don't necessarily know what it is or how it is. And what's great is of course, you know, 
Brubaker is overflowing with stories about the comic convention circuit. So, I mean, it's kind of like Chaikin's Hey Kids comics, but, you know, cohesive and with a story and there's a point under running it and the way that so Brubaker's it's nothing like chickens <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> but a bump yes 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 so why do you hate comics graham i don't understand anyway so i just hate comics about comics apparently well apparently you do and who can blame you really which will make some of my other uh recommendations be all the more uh, you, you, you to prepare to get yourself into high dungeon scoffing wise uh anyway I just one of the things that I thought was interesting about it was how much of it is um, kind of kind of like some of the other recent criminal stuff that Brubaker and Phillips have been doing. Um, Brubaker almost moving into telling dramatic stories with sort of crime at the background of things, but it's a little bit of him like. Uh, fictionalizing his own past to talk about it and there's a way in which that's always been an element of criminal there's these i was gonna say like that doesn't strike me as a new or a new thing about brubaker's writing at all actually no like, it, i feel that that's been like almost one of the through lines of of brubaker's work absolutely i i think the difference is uh to to use a very artsy fartsy um analogy it's like producing an album where it's like the he's he's turned down the bass and brought up the vocals in the front in a way you know what i mean like it's less of a it it was always crime stuff that was about him fictionalizing his past and now it's stories about fictionalizing his past with crime stuff if you know what i'm saying like the emphasis sure. yeah has yeah, switched. The focus has changed. yeah exactly the yeah. focus has changed and what he's bringing more into the foreground like you said always there but he's cranking it up a bit and cranking down the crime a bit and i'm enjoying that transition more uh um again uh, so he, here's a, a question spinning off that then would do you think you'd enjoy uh what he and phillips are doing now if they drop the genre element altogether in that case i don't know i mean how, how, much, how much of the crime element of criminal is a uh, crutch i guess is what i'm asking uh well it depends on what your definition of crutch is i personally unsurprisingly for a guy who's been talking for years and years and years on a comics podcast very much like genre and i i really like genre elements in my mainstream fiction so for example if you get the science fiction elements within David Foster Wallace's Infinite Jest, or you get the crime elements in uh, Murakami or uh, Roberto Bolano or um, like a number of other dudes or the fantasy and Borges. Like, I kind of like that. I don't think that I'm, I'm not the sort of person um, unless you're, you're a your prose is just polished up to a, a luminous shine. I'm just not necessarily the kind of dude that is going to read just mainstream fiction. You know, I, I unfortunately, my, my attention span is short enough. That being said, I'm also one of the people that I know that had bought Brubaker's low life back when it was, you know, Ed Brubaker you. writing yeah. and drawing stories you know, that are, that were quote unquote, that about Ed Brubaker. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, even thinner veneers. And the fact is 
as Brubaker's gotten older and there's been a certain amount of, you know, sort of more reflection and especially how criminal criminals overarching motif of how people who care about each other damage one another you know, as a, a basically an emotional through line through that stuff, taking the sort of the femme fatale aspect of noir and extending it to the idea of of people loving one another and irreparably harming one another as a result um, and and move maneuvering that as he does towards the dysfunction of families, I think, as it's gone on. Um, all of that is very appealing to me, and it's very appealing to me that crime, depending on how he uses it or works at it, can be a metaphor for that. I, I'm I'm there. I'm into it. So, so if they drop that entirely, I think I would probably give you, it a your shot. Your interest would drop as well. Oh, okay. I, I would give it a shot, but yeah, I would be I I would be cooler toward it. I am actually much warmer when it's viewed within that within that context. And and similarly, that way of like, oh, we're going to do a family comic, but it's a science fiction saga. You know, it's like, all right, I, that those sorts of things work for me. So anyway, Criminal Issue 2 did not crap on and did enjoy um, the first three issues of Tempest by League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I did not like as much as some of the other people on the internet seem to like, but I by liked it. By League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? What's that? The first three issues of Tempest by League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Did I say that? It's, yeah, is, I, that, is that what we're calling Alan Murray and Kevin O'Neill now? We are. They are the... Didn't you catch on, Greg? Did you... Did, Graham? The Greg? League, Greg? <laughs> I misspoke. I did not screw up your name. As someone who's a little worried that I'm not only crotchety but uh perhaps feeble-minded as well i want to say greg i totally I, knew I your honestly, name was Graham. Thought, yeah i honestly thought that you're doing an original writer joke uh after moore wants his name taken off miracle man oh no that i thought they were i thought they were like you know yeah that's what they're called now they're called the league of extraordinary, league gentlemen. Of extraordinary gentlemen we we can't name them one by one anymore no. the league of extraordinary gentlemen were the friends we made along the way Graham. That's what I'm that's what I think. <laughs> so anyway, Tempest colon slash exclamation point League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the current ultimate final League yeah, the fun, story final series. Right? It is uh, I I'm I'm in I'm enjoying it a lot more than I've enjoyed a bunch of the previous stuff, which is to say a lot of people and I mean multiple, multiple people recommended the League Nemo one shots, which I at best I found readable, I guess. But uh, but I'm liking more of what's happening with Tempest, or at least the first three issues, and we'll see I, where it goes. Yeah, I was gonna say I read Nemo. I read both. The, were there two? Were there three Nemo one shots? I read two of them. And... We're buzzing, so. Save that sentence. It's not just me being a dick and cutting you off and pretending. You're buzzing, Graham. Anyway, let me finish my yeah, voice. Sure, yeah, you're buzzing. See you later. <laughs> I'm going to go kick a cat, and I'll be back in two minutes. Boop, boop. See, how can I be so annoyed and pissy when there's the boop, boop going on? My goodness. I, I don't know, but somehow you've managed it. I have. Well, maybe I'm feeling better now, Graham. Try me. 
Uh, so yes. <laughs> oh my god, is there some way we can keep that in? Like, can we, ju- or can we put that on Patreon? Because that was hilarious. <laughs> that was really impressive. Thank you, thank you very much. So I'm so sorry. It started crackling right when yeah, we started in. I was, in on I was the... saying that. Um, mm-hmm. I read two of the Nemo's. Were there three or just two? I want to say there were three. I feel like there were three one There were three as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, I read two of them. Right. And they were, like, completely underwhelming. Yeah. There were, there were like, three. There were Heart of Ice, Roses of Berlin, and River of Ghosts. And so I read the first two. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they had the the weight and content of I mean honestly probably what they were intended to be which is like you know a fill in annual from like an, a 1980s Marvel comic mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. the, there was nothing there mm-hmm. uh, but again I think if you followed the the rest of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen there was probably enough there to get you through you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it probably is Fine. Yeah, I think I think there's a little bit of that. Like the the Nemo stuff, I I might have I have the sneaking suspicion I got all the way through issue one, half. Uh, sorry, all the way through the first Nemo, halfway through the second Nemo, did not read the third Nemo, and so jumping in with the Tempest, I was like, it's for whatever reason, it's still um, Morin O'Neill doing what Morin O'Neill have been doing. And in some I think, ways... I think at this point, it's ridiculous to expect it to change. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. But I guess what I'm saying is it's somehow less annoying for me than a lot of other stuff. In some ways, it is a twist on taking some of the stuff from Century and moving it you know, unsurprisingly, moving forward some of the plot threads with that and in a way kind of doing, uh, and I don't know if this was always the plan, but more thinking about it and being like, oh, yeah, that that was kind of a mistake. Like I had, you know, the... <laughs> The image of uh, 20th century toxic masculinity was the friends that we made along the way kind of thing. Um, and it's, oh, it's, 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 it's actually a comic about like we were trying to discuss like toxic masculinity. Well, no, but I mean, to the extent – how do I put it? To the extent that century – and I guess I, I might be confusing it. It's probably Black Dossier more than – in any event, essentially, as you know, the Antichrist ended up being Harry Potter for reasons that tied to some of the shit with Quartermain was very much this idea of like, you know, more being like, no, like the future is female. Check me out. Progressive guy that I am. Uh, and men are kind of fucked up. The idea that he chose Harry Potter, which seemed an odd choice and kind of a weird, cranky um it was one. yeah it it was very much it very much appeared as I get off my lawn. Yeah, he's rolled that back and very smartly made and spoilers for people although it's 3 issues in it shouldn't necessarily be surprising. He's like, "Oh no, wait. Right, right. No, James Bond is is the incarnation <laughs> of toxic yes, masculinity." This character who previously I've adored. Well, and which in a way is part of his point. I mean, when when Jimmy 
pops up in Black Dossier. I think it's got to be Black Dossier, but maybe it is also in Century. I can't fucking remember for the life of me which one. But he shows up. He is portrayed as a shit, and Moore has a lot of fun making fun of him, but I think perhaps in a... Again, either part of his master plan, probably, or a pivot, which is more what it feels like. He is kind of like, oh, no, wait, he he is an, a much more apt nemesis in that sense for the League and what the League represents, uh, which I think is is actually a smart call. And so he has that the, it is all sort of leading up to a confrontation between the revitalized James Bond and the sort of spread thin on the defensive league as, you know, sort of the final showdown that's shaping up while also being kind of a diverting um, twisty path through uh, comics, I guess, for lack of a better term is incredibly enjoyable. And also I think you would enjoy because I feel like un the other way in which I feel that perhaps uh century was a misstep for um more is I felt that he very much, particularly toward the end of century, he sort of started, you know, century starts out very much like it's the league versus Bertolt Brecht. And then by the end, it's the league versus, um, you know, Harry Potter, but there's also sort of a skewing toward modern pop culture and modern pop culture is sort of strongly American based, even though Harry Potter is British, I suppose. He's kind of that weird kind of plasticine, be able to be sold worldwide version of, of, of a British uh, pop um, icon. And so I kind of feel that Tempest is unsurprisingly more rolling it back very firmly onto British ground. You not only have Prospero from the Tempest being, you know, kind of at the cornerstone of things in a way that isn't, I think will be made more clear by the end, apart from just being, you know, of reference to Shakespeare's final play, uh, but is also a, um, it's, it, there's so many more British comics. Like I'm sure you saw the cover to four, is uh, that the 2080 uh, riff? Uh, I don't remember. I think it's the... There's uh, a 2080 riff and there's like a, a, a Bino riff. Yes, the Bino riff is, is on the cover of issue four. There are pages inside, I forget if it's issue three or four, that are a 2080 riff. There's also a Fumetti riff. There's also riffs that clearly are... Or there's, there's actually a whole section that is modeled off of um, Misty, you know, so... Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's, 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 it's, it's definitely, you know, the returning to the roots kind of thing that again feels like somehow got lost. Uh, oh yeah. Century was, Century was, uh, I, I actually I was going to say Century felt like it was off model, but that's not necessarily true. Right. Because right. I think that honestly, volume two Unplugged Dossie felt equally off model. So I think that Century just felt like a sort of an expansion of the where League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was going, but 
if if this is if this is getting back more towards uh essentially a focused cultural critique mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of Alan Moore's broadly like I can do anything, mm-hmm. which you know, he's an amazingly talented man, but he can't do everything. Yeah. And and his his uh ambition outstrips his his ability continually in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I think. Um but also if it's sort of getting back to like it's the idea of of Moore and O'Neill doing essentially like one final tour around comics mm-hmm. is more interesting and feels more of an interesting thing uh, uh sort of intellectual conceits than anything since the first series right well yes i think there's that although at the same time how do i put it a, of course, you still won't like it, and B, in part. I mean, sure, yeah, it's an it's an Alan Moore comic. Well, yeah, like I've, exactly. I've never been I've never been massively into League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, right. and I like I I have increasingly gone off Alan Moore as the years have gone on. Right. So the best we can hope for is me reading it one day from the library and going, huh, okay, sure. Right. Exactly. But also, I think, uh, how do I put this? Um, one thing that I do think is interesting and also makes sense is somewhere around slash past the time of Moore's magical awakening, he's had a conception of uh, his belief in um, essentially that we experience time in a linear fashion as we move through our life. But in fact, time is you know exists it's not linear yeah yeah is not linear and therefore i think and this is the thing that he accomplished very smartly is in the tempest there is a way in which he's exploring that via the medium of comics and and i think this is kind of interesting comic book continuity actually so it's it it is though um blowhardier equivalent of some of the stuff that Morrison has done with comics. But whereas Morrison has used, I guess the comics page as an element of time and timelessness and moving inside and outside of time as a way of extra dimensional understanding. If you see what I'm Mm -hmm. saying, Moore's actually doing that with comic with the the comic book continuity that he set up in the league so people will have flashbacks and those flashbacks are done in the style of different british comics but half of why i know what's interesting or happening that is separate from oh it that's supposed to be blank the famous character blank is actually more like oh this is the fleshing out of an anecdote that was mentioned at Black Dossier, or this is a thing that fell out of somebody's mouth two miniseries ago, and now you're seeing this <laughs> scene, and because it's coming at it from a different angle, because it is people who are viewing it. So in in a way, and this is what I think is interesting, is you could argue that what Moore is trying to do with The Tempest is precisely although still in a very formalist way, trying to come up with a way to um, take the world building in that that very structured um, 
you can only drive one way on this road approach of Watchmen and kind of trying to create something that is a little more kaleidoscopic um, and holographic, to use a term that, that Morrison I would say another Morrison term, yeah. Yeah, um, but... But more, but, but more hasn't used those terms, but he's, I feel he's, I think there's a case to be made. He's creating the experience of that, the experiential equivalent. Whereas I feel like Morrison in a, in a cartoonist way has mostly shorthanded it for various reasons, I suppose. So it's, I'm enjoying it more slash it's chewier, more interesting to me slash still wouldn't be your thing. Slash that being said, I seem to not be digging it as much as other people on the internet who I respect seem to dig it. So, so with all that in mind, I am going to six months from now read it and then get very angry at you for recommending it to me. That's right. And then you can I, I, come I, back and, and kind of hurl infective about to me and I'll be things like, Listeners, this is the episode where I'm the sweet to Graham Sauer, or maybe vice versa. <laughs> wow, I like how I do a callback, and you somehow do a callback that, again, is weirdly sour. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just... I'm, I see where we're going. I'm, I'm just, I'm when, just when you were, yes. when you, you really are tonight. You really are really pissy. This is I like be... you very much, Graham, though. Don't get me wrong. You are, you are absolutely... You're, you're somebody that I like a lot. So please don't please don't take what, this invective. Please imagine invective. Jeff talking to someone he didn't like tonight. Oh yeah, they'd be in trouble. They um, do you ever you have were... that thing where you come up with like insults for people that you didn't like that you haven't seen in like seven or eight years? I can honestly say I've never done that. I don't do it like in a deliberate way. You're like I don't do it often, but when I do, they're great insults. Okay, so there was there was a person who is used there, to is work there someone at the in place. Particular? There was a person that used to work at the place where I used to work, and they've been gone for maybe five or six years now. And I did not, I really did not like that person a lot. And their name came up in the course of me doing this various stuff. Yesterday at work, not tied to the nightmare thing, but tied to other stuff that was nightmarish. And I'm like, oh, it's Kablankety Blank. Wow. Last time someone told me Kablankety Blank got married and actually had a kid now. I can't believe, considering he was such a terrible line of work that we're in, that he is actually still managing to get work in line of work that we're in. And we're actually working with him, considering they are so terrible at the line of work that we're in. I'm like, huh, I wonder if that means they would ever be in the hall and I would bump into them. What would I say to that person? And I'm like, I guess I'd say... Let me, let me think. It'd say something like, and then you launch it to song and dance routine. Yeah, exactly. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from the first. So, no, it was it was going to be something like, so I hear you settled down with the first nice girl who was chlamydia resistant, you know, which is. Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that'd probably be a good thing to say to his face because he's like, that's an opener. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's see where it goes from there, you know. So, and I was kind of like, huh, yeah, that's kind of a shit thing to actually say to someone. You know what I mean? Because when it's like, because uh, I've also had this situation where there are people that I've loathed and they're in the presence uh, of their spouse 
And all I want to do is tell this person how shitty and horrible they are, but their spouse is right there. And I feel like that's not, it's not a good it's situation. It's not the right time. Yeah, exactly. 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 You know? So part just, of me is like. Just, just hold back. Right. Right. Play it cool, boy. Real cool. Da, 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 Anyway, um, this outer... is the episode where, where A, you're in a really bad mood, and B, we're going to have to pay Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> yeah, right. absolutely. <laughs> Dear Wait What Podcast, another thing that steams my clams, Graham, and I'm sure that you've noticed this as well. Oh, my um, God, is this? It's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, so God, apparently... I like, are, are we actually really going into this? But okay. Um, I was going to say really quickly before we move on. Your description of Alan Moore basically playing with time by putting in, like, really anal Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, here's something that only real fans will understand. Sounds like the most annoying thing in the world. Oh, that's really funny. Unless you're a real fan. Well, no, how do I put it? A A real fan is more of a casual reader. I feel like, you know... Oh, this Volkswagen like, they got into is like love this book. No, no, no. But I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, Moore has actually made it lighter and warmer and more accessible. Like, I actually okay, feel so like it had gotten too far that way. But like, for example, if you read the Black Dossier, there's a couple of pages where they sum up the uh, adventures of the sort of the Parisian League or the the League that followed after Mina's league disintegrated and it has a showdown with a bunch of supervillains, including Quasimodo and Dracula and stuff. And that, or maybe it's not Dracula. Anyway, that is only, it's, it's kind of this whole thing of like, it's, you know, sort of funny slash annoying in black dossier because it, on the one hand, it is more doing his like, here's what I would give you if I could actually be arsed to do it. Um, and it seems kind of cool, sort of to me, in the same way that the pirate story um, uh, synopses in the back of Watchmen text feature talking about the pirate comic sound cool to me, where he talks about the stories that you never see. Uh, what ends up happening is there's a two or three page sequence in Tempest that involves that conclusion that is mentioned in black dossier it's not a super squirreled away sort of thing it's a thing that you think is a is was a throwaway thing and when it comes up here you're like oh it's kind of funny and clever that this is here and it feels like uh it 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 honestly does feel more like so it it feel it doesn't feel like uh here's a reward for people who have been reading for like 29 years or however long the series has been going on. Or, or rather, it, not not a reward for the super fan, but rather sort of the way of here is a here is something that someone who's read the rest of the books is going to get. And again, the experience of unexpectedly experiencing it in exactly the way that it was told, but in a completely different context is, I think, what what Moore wants to say about uh, extra temporality or whatever you're going to coin that term for his his idea that we will eventually experience our lives, our time outside of time, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so, so I just want to say... 
like to the extent that it sounds it 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 may still not be your bag but i do not think that it is quite the loathsome bag of snakes that you originally <laughs> thought that it was going to be so you know it, it, it may it, it might be like eh, not to your taste or eh, this guy really over eggs the pudding but i don't think that it's going to be a oh god please someone help alan moore get his head out of his ass so but honestly i'm past the someone help alan moore get his head out of his ass in large part because like if this is his last comic it's every he has every right to do like the most alan moore comic in the world well, do you know what I mean? Like, Alan, have a rape on every page. Go <laughs> have some Lovecraftian shit in there. Like, you know, really just go. Hmm. You know, I don't know. I Maybe I haven't been paying close enough attention. But, yeah, there's sort of a – I mean, I don't know, Graham. Like, I mean – there, there is something for me about that, like, if this is his last project and this is his last tour – the idea that he is going to like he can be a self-referential as he wants. He could like sure. basically go for it. Like yes. if there's one time to do it, it is the last project. I I totally agree, and in a way, it's a shame. It's just that it's just you... that it's just that I don't want to read it. Sure, I get it, and sort I mean? of like like I said, it's a shame in a way that you didn't, as far as I know, uh, dig into Twin Peaks: The Return because there is a way in I, which I'm not joking. It's in the local video store, and I keep seeing it, and like actually picking it up, mm-hmm. and remembering someone, and I wish I could remember who. It might even have been you, but I don't think it was. Basically, saying that like the worst thing I could ever do for my mood would be to try and watch that series in less than three weeks. Oh wow! I I would say so, some, someone someone yeah. like really seriously was like no like mm-hmm. that that would be bad for you to try and like binge that show i think th- i think there's something to be said for that i i do have to say that someone else made the point that maybe in in one of either comments field or something that that mentioned that the the streaming model uh for netflix of things being binged upon like kind of like what a pleasant experience it was for those of us to be able to watch it on a weekly basis mm-hmm. and I know, I, I react and cogitate yeah. as it was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you conveyed it to me then, yeah. So in that sense. Are, are you still there? I can't tell if yeah. I just... No, okay. I'm, no, I'm still here. Yeah. Okay, I apologize. I wasn't sure. I'm like, did I just interrupt him endlessly again or did he actually accidentally mute himself? I no, neither. I actually was just not talking. <laughs> well, there you go. I do think that in a similar way that Twin Peaks, the return has kind of, uh, you know, David Lynch giving the grand tour of the David Lynch Museum um, slash reflecting on mortality and time like mm-hmm. Tempest, Tempest, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, is very similar and has a sort of similar, uh, yeah, like you said, kind of that idea of like, oh, if it's self-referential, like this is surely the place to do it kind of thing. I think I think that's actually, actually a good point. However, that being said, I do feel that one of the things I appreciate is that it sort of. I don't think I don't think the Tempest is going to be quite the the success that Twin Peaks the Return was for me. Well, but, but yeah. But you no, and it doesn't have that. to be. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, Creatively but, but and also it, emotionally it, and things. 
you know. But I guess they're two very different things. Well, sure, sure. You know, I, I feel that I'm trying to think of a way of saying this that doesn't sound like I'm insulting Moore. Mm-hmm. I feel Lynch had the time and space away from the project to actually reevaluate what he wanted from the project and what he can do with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel that Moore is essentially closing off something that has been an ongoing concern for all this time. Mm-hmm. And I think, therefore, like it can't have the same power for him as a creator or for you as a as a as the audience without that that space sure sure no i think there is there's a lot to be said for that space and there's there's a lot to be said for if you know again that yeah that huge huge distance of 25 years between twin peaks and twin peaks the return is um allows for so much reverberation you know that that it is a it is a like you said yeah it's a completely different experience i'm just saying i for me it's it's a it may be self-evident but was worth qualifying for people who are like oh my god jeff said that this is just like twin peaks the return i'm going to have to go get this i hate him i must now you know do a podcast with him and pass ag neg, neg him for like two and a half hours so uh, Graham, there was something else I wanted to say or ask you about. You surely you must have liked uh, Immortal Hulk 13, I assume, right? Yes, yes. No, Immortal Hulk continues to just be. Oh my god! You know, infinitely, you know, easily the best thing Marvel's put out in years. Yeah. Um, just I, I keep wanting to get visionary and then stopping myself because it seems such a cliche term, mm-hmm. but like what Ewing is doing with that book. With the Mortal Hulk mythology uh, concept, uh, the Hulk like mythology and concept, and and mm-hmm. and sort of the Gamma concept in general mm-hmm. is just, I mean, amazing work. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's it feels so far removed from everything that's come before, and yet the logical next step. Right. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree. I agree. It is, it is, it is fabulous. Um, really, just extraordinary. Uh, and I should mention, on a much more uh, minor note, one of the things that uh, I read that I enjoyed, um, but not nearly at Immortal Hulk levels, uh, Outer Darkness issue four. Still very much enjoying uh, John Layman and Afu Chan's um, reinvention of the filmation Star Trek animated series as a horror show um, is great, really quite enjoyable. Uh, And similarly, I did want to mention talking about things that make Graham roll his eyeballs so hard. We can, I actually have to uh, mute the noise of the, the, the sockets grinding is uh, I saw the black mirror episode, the USS Callister episode that, uh, Oh yeah. That in true Jeff Lester fashion, everyone was, everyone talking, was talking about, about it. like a year ago. <laughs> exactly, a year to eighteen <laughs> months ago. Finally saw that, and I thought that that was uh, uh, interesting. Again, one of those things that I would like to talk about with you in a way, just because of how much for me I enjoyed the meta commentary of it about, of course, unsurprisingly. Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. Like I, I think to the extent that it it looks at or addresses or thinks about the other uh, incarnations of Trek, I'm not so sure, but I can definitely feel that what it is saying about 
Roddenberry's Star Trek is um, very interesting and enjoyable, enjoyable to me in terms of its um, succinctness, I guess. So I, I dug it. I was into it. I am. And this sounds much more bitchy than it's intended to. <laughs> Glad that we finally got to things that you liked. Because I honestly was earlier on was like, we're like an hour in and Jeff's just talking about everything he hates. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, you know, the thing that's great is, Graham, you kind of have this sort of naive way of like, how did this happen? And it, it was like at the time you're like, no, tell me, shit on the next one. What is it? No, Tell I, me. I, I guess, and at a certain yeah, point, you were like, know. stop. I, I'm going to hang up I, now. I don't like yeah, you I, anymore. You know? <laughs> I should have hung up. I should have hung up. Like, you should have right. hung up. Oh, my I God. I should. I, like, yeah. I, I, yeah. Oh, I, 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 my, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was, I shit you not, an hour and a half ago, going to talk about Doom Patrol. The, the TV show. Oh, the TV show. You should. And then we literally, we literally just went off at like 72, 72 minutes of, punches. yeah, I know. Should I just cut all that part out? Wouldn't it be great if we like released a 15 minute episode and it opens with you oh, like, no. I'm so glad we're talking about stuff that you like. What a relief. Anyway. <laughs> we'll release two versions of this. We'll release a positive version. Yeah. And a, and a, a full unedited version and the positive version will be like 10 minutes long yeah 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 yeah. exactly there'll be the shiny happy people version and the other version just literally will have like you know like backwards recorded satanic chanting and stuff and oh but i am going to take this moment to mm-hmm. say hey everyone uh, isn't jeff's music for drug great <laughs> It's very kind of you. I think, honestly, part of me is like, if you have to underscore it, people are like, eh, it's fine. Like, somebody w- somebody was very sweet enough to give it a, a chef's kiss. But let's face it, there is the, the alchemy that is a Graham McMillan theme song, and then there's... Oh, uh... shut up! No! <laughs> I, I, I re- and there's, an, there's another song you wrote, because you gave me two versions. And what I love is they're number three and four, so clearly there's one and two that you didn't let me hear. There are, there are, yes. Yeah. You, you sent me three and four, and we're using four i think uh is it let's, let's be yeah, it is four it is four here. yeah 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 mm-hmm. yep four yep. reasons i'm gonna stick three up on the patreon oh wow okay that sounds great thank this you. is great yeah, yeah, it's yeah. also great yeah well, thank um, you yeah so yeah i'm gonna stick three up on the patreon oh, well, so you. so people can hear that and then one day if you feel brave enough you can stick one and two up against i I, might. Even heard it. Yeah. I don't know if it's literally just you whistling that would be great <laughs> You know, for people who are wondering, I I think we can talk about this out loud now. But one of the things that Graham and I had talked about doing was uh, just doing the Baxter building theme song again, but having me do I am the law, I am the law, I am the law instead of Fantastic Four, which I thought would be really funny. um, But we clearly didn't do. But uh, I I still think that and you were like, like, we'll go back and do it with synths. Yes, and I honestly, I just could not make that work, and I did try, uh, and it ultimately comes out to the fact that like I have no actual musical talent whatsoever, right? No, and right. like everything was garage band like loops, and then trying to recreate that with since was frustrating and very unsuccessful. I totally but it know was what you mean. Yeah. Such a great idea! It yeah. was such a great idea. Yeah. But no, we um anyone out there who's got like really really shitty 1980 synths 
if you want to do a cover version oh, you know. of, of the, the Baxter building theme and just have someone gruffly say, yeah, I'm the low over it. Yeah. I'd to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should, I, you know, it's a shame Matt Maxwell is too busy with all of his projects because he is definitely a synth hound. He would definitely, he would be game to do that with something that he actually listened to and enjoyed. So, um, so not us then. Yeah, exactly. Moving on. <laughs> Cause I am going to, I am going to get to the Doom Patrol thing. Doom Patrol is such a weird show. I really like the pilot. Mm-hmm. It's also it's like two things about it really upset me. Wow. <laughs> but not enough to make me go, huh. One is the stupidest thing, mm-hmm. which is, the Cliff Steel's jaw doesn't move really, really upset me through the whole thing. Huh. Because in the comics, his jaw moves. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that the dude is literally just like it's a, a, a metal head that doesn't do anything. Yeah. Right? Right. But his jaw not moving really upset me through the whole thing. Right. Um, especially because his eyes blink. Mm-hmm. And like if his eyes blink, that's fucking let his jaw move. Right. Um, thing number two is they're doing a weird thing in terms of the timeline of the show mm-hmm. that I don't understand and I don't know if they will ever explain. Mm-hmm. But every member of the team comes from a different era, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, Larry Trainer comes from the 60s. Mm-hmm. Far comes from the 50s. Mm-hmm. Cliff comes from the 80s. Mm-hmm. Also far so good, because you can get away with reasons why all of them have an age. Because it takes place in 2019. It's very clear that it says that. Right. Crazy Jane then appears. Mm-hmm. And she met everyone in the 70s, they say. Hmm. And that just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Why wouldn't they I, choose the 90s for her? Did they have to choose someone else for the 90s? No, there's no one in the 90s. Oh, As yet. Like at some point they're bringing Cyborg into the show and maybe he's going to be the 90s. Right. But I just don't get – like I don't, first of all, understand the why does everyone come from a different decade part mm-hmm. in general. But I don't understand why you specifically say that Jane comes from the 90s – comes from the 70s mm-hmm. because that would make her say – like even say that she was like 20 when she met mm-hmm. everyone. She would be 60 years old now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it seems super weird to me that, you know, she's clearly not. Mm-hmm. It's it's, just, it's an inexplicable choice. Mm-hmm. That, why did you add this extra layer of, like, of, of nonsense in there? Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be paying, down, paying off down the road. Right. But it's, it's, such, it's such an odd show. Totally, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a mess. But it's a mess in a way that I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's simultaneously trying to do the like we are adults, like we're we're doing stories for people who are fucked up, and making fun of superheroes, and at the same time actually being genuinely funny. Mm-hmm. And it uh, it I was gonna say it shouldn't work, but it does, and I'm not sure it does work. Mm-hmm. But the ways in which it doesn't work are really interesting to me. Hmm. Uh, Brendan Fraser is great though. Mm-hmm. Fraser has literally no reason to be as good in that role as he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when the, like, you know, young Brendan Fraser is quite clearly today's Brendan Fraser wearing, like, a fake mustache. And it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Um, 
yeah, there's 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 lots of choices that don't work, and yet somehow there's something about the show. And honestly, I think it's the show has a lot of heart, hmm. um, which I didn't expect it to. Like the trailers all sort of made it look like wah 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 wah. They're a wacky suburban team, but they're all freaks. Ba 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 ba. And the first episode is pretty much Cliff Steele was in this terrible accident, and he's really fucked up. And by the way, Niles calls her is just outright lied to him. Mm-hmm. And will he be able to get over it? Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, Alan Tudyk's in there as Mister Nobody and is the narrator of the show mm-hmm. and is aware that it's a show mm-hmm. because at one point he goes, "Critics will hate the show." That's very clever. That's a smart choice, of course, with Mister Nobody in a way. I think. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's I've, I'm really curious where it's going to go. But mm-hmm. the first episode is. Honestly, just weird enough to make you go, sure, okay. The most disappointing thing is that they literally line for line do the um, Jane Cliff meeting from the comics. Oh, really? Yeah, they do the Jane talking about uh, her painting is ruined and Cliff going, come in out of the rain. Yes, yeah. It's not the first meeting in the in the show. Mm. Oh, well, that's kind of uh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first meeting show is, is, is just the opposite. They, they fight. Mm-hmm. And so that, that scene, like, is there, is the apology, is the end of the apology scene. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, maybe just cause like I read those comics so much and I liked those comics so much. Mm-hmm. I was honestly like, I don't want you to do this line. I know what's coming next. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do this. I don't want, fuck you did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but no, I really liked it. And I, I'm, I, I'm going to be, continuing to tune in and we'll see if it's uh careens horribly off the rails mm-hmm. or gets better because it has space to do both mm-hmm. i thought there was I something happening both. after no, that no no it's space to do both and then i just left it. oh okay and you were like mm. well because because yeah it, it's i was following by your intonation it is very much a has space to do both and da, da 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 you know what I mean? And and instead you left it on the high boat, and I was like, he's he's literally left me hanging, audibly. <laughs> so, Graham, uh, this is this is this is one of the dumbest um, uh, questions you will probably ever uh, hear about this. But how how long are these DC Universe episodes? They're an hour. They're an hour long. Oh, okay, so it's an hour long. Is that is that like a TV hour long, like fifty minutes? No, or it's, is it, it's, it's a full well, hour. They're all. They're variable. I see. I want to. Well, I want to say the first Doom Patrol episode is like fifty-two minutes. Uh huh. But like Titan episodes, I think went anywhere between like forty-five and like an hour eight or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of neat. Okay. Uh, good to know. Very good to know. Um, hmm. Because uh, that is one of my things. Of for whatever reason, I'm sort of like, yeah, it's, surely they don't have the budget to do those for longer than half hour episodes. Again, just this. Uh, weird... Also, surely they don't have the budget to do those. Yeah, right. So is is, is... you know it? It's not that it's like we're not talking, you know, sci-fi original movie special effects, but there are bits where you're like, oh, that could be better. Mm-hmm. Like things like seeing Negative Man are uh, like are genuinely underwhelming. Like if you were expecting what is in the comics, no. That said, um, the the like Larry and the the as a human being, like in in the bandages and the glasses, mm-hmm. looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the promo pictures of that, I was kind of like, oh, again, in that weird, like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, 
the costume that seems almost underwhelming on the comics page is the one that is, you know, the most effortlessly cool or mm-hmm. easy to pull off in, in and, and, and real life. And the, the um, uh, what's his name, Matt Bomer, does the voice mm-hmm. of Negative Man. And there's something uh, he gets a he does a really nice tone for it, mm-hmm. where Larry seems. Very kind and yet also weirdly embarrassed about everything that's going on around him, <laughs> which is which is a nice choice. Yeah, that is a nice choice. Uh, do you? So, just out of curiosity, Graham, I assume that based on uh, your sort of frustration and embarrassment, this is a Doom Patrol that you very much want to have be its own thing rather than Hugh. Uh, Closely to the, the comics? I mean, in yes, a way, it totally I, I want, can't. I but. want it to have the spirit of um, invention that the Morrison run did, mm-hmm. but I do not want it to be an adaptation of the Morrison run. Right. right. Um, because, you know, the, the Arnold Drake, uh, Bruno, I can't remember his last name, run, the, the Morrison case run, mm-hmm. and the Gerard Way and Nick Darrington run as well. Yeah have all succeeded for me in being very true to themselves. Right. And the weird thing is when you look at the lineup of characters, it seems like such an amalgam of all of they're those. Well, I mean, there's there's no Darrington in there. There's no Gerard Way in there. That's so funny because I, I always assume because the there's the bus. I'm always like, but there's the, the bus, bus, Graham. The bus, is, the bus is just a bus. Wow. The bus is just a bus, and also in the comics, it's uh, an ambulance. Oh, it's, it's okay. Danny the ambulance. Right, 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 right. Well, maybe it's going to be Danny the bus. That's what I. Well, no, that, that honestly, I thought that at first, but the bus it plays a pretty major role in the first episode, and there's no hint of it. Oh, okay. Right. Um, I do wonder, and something happens at the end of the first episode that is very Morrisonian, mm-hmm. but also not from the Morrison comics. Mm-hmm. Which made me go, oh, okay, I want to see you do more of this weirdness. Right. Which is, there is a, you see the, the show opens with the origin of Mr. Nobody. And there is a phrase he is given as like the machine ramps up that he has to repeat as he becomes Mr. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the first episodes, a donkey wanders out in front of the characters and farts a green mist that then turns into letters that spell out that that <laughs> wanders off. Wow. Which is which is great. But also the second episode is apparently going to be called Donkey Patrol. Then <laughs> huh. I was like, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. This this is this is curious part stuff. Right. Right. You know? Also the first episode may seem to end with like everyone falling into a black hole. Hmm. Which is like an interesting choice. <laughs> yes. Yes. Interesting uh, indeed. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I said, it, it is one of those things that like could go like could just blossom or could be like immediately go downhill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's one of those pilots. It's it's one of those pilots where you're like, oh, the potential here is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I like this pilot this potential is great but you are not like this show is amazing mm. you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, I'm I'm uh I really like the really like the pilot, but I'm not signed on to the series yet. I'm signed on to checking it out, but also I that ripcord is still in my hand. Ah, that seems well, it seems sensible, I think, because it it seems like a a pretty pretty volatile mix. I mean, especially because, like you said, you want something. The stuff that you like is the stuff that hues towards the Morrisonian without being outright Morrison adaptations. So yes, exactly. I don't. I don't want someone to just be like, you know, and here is the whatever the data. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because I think I said this last year. Like I reread Morrison's Symmetral re- fairly recently, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really hold up. Yeah, you've you. I do remember you saying that, and part of me is always like, "What? No!" And yet I have to say, I've never made it through the reread. I've I've basically read the first storyline and the last storyline a few times. But there's a there's a lot of stuff in the middle that I just drop out of. And to be fair, there's some stuff around the mid early 40s or something where I was like, yeah, this just isn't frying my burgers. Their whole like we're in space and we're having a space battle against, you know, Mm -hmm. space stuff, you know. No, I I remember when it was coming out. I remember thinking that really clearly. Mm-hmm. That like that run, like it was the thirty-seven. It was when they went mature readers, mm-hmm. like, and then they're like, exactly. "I'm going to immediately go into space," and it was just like this book is falling apart. Like, yeah. what has happened? And it comes back like almost immediately afterwards, right? Because it's flex mentallo almost right afterwards. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, but there's but, but that, like that yeah. that like there's like five issues in the middle of that run that, that just do not work. Yeah, and because it's the start of the mature reader stuff, you're like, oh boy, they've did they kill this book? Like, uh, I'm so glad that someone else felt the same thing. That being said, it's very interesting to me that you went back and reread it and it does not hold up. Uh, or it's one of those comics. It's one of those comics that is very, very important to me. Like, you know, integral in my sense of, of what comics can do and what superhero comics can do. And then like at the time it's coming out, I was like, Oh my God, this is blowing my mind every single month. Right. And so I was like, Oh, you know, I, I I can't wait to reread it. And I was just, I enjoyed it all, but I was also disappointed by it all entirely through. Because part of it is it can never have that of level course, of revelation again. again. Right, of course. You know? Right. But also there's just things where the dialogue doesn't work. Or you're like, oh, that feels like a Mark Miller moment. Mm. Or, you know, we're in a, an era where we expect comics to be smarter or funnier or or not so obvious. Or, you know, there's so much of that in there. Mm-hmm. That you're just like, it, you know, honestly, not to be sort of ridiculously old-fashioned, but like, you know, 1989 was a very different time. Well, actually, what I want to ask you, Graham, because interestingly enough, this is the second of two of Morrison's major works that has meant a lot to you and not held up. The other being The Invisibles, which has been was a kind of a rocky reread for you, as I recall. Is it? Mm-hmm. Is it possible that Morrison is is a is a guy whose work is because so much of it has the feeling of the shock of the new or the idea that you're taking on like it's it's the same boat ride but because it's different uh, a different 
scenery every time that it, um, it it's don't... partly that it's also partly uh, what is cutting edge, what is cutting edge at a particular moment in time mm-hmm. can seem just humiliating mm-hmm. uh, like 20 years later mm-hmm. uh, and the invisibles is very 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 much that right but you know like you, you don't things like you know the entire treatment of fanny in the invisibles right it's just embarrassing mm. the entire treatment of boy in the invisibles is just embarrassing oh yeah the entire treatment of of robin in the invisibles mm. is just embarrassing mm-hmm. the the um the glorification of 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 king mob mm-hmm. honestly is kind of embarrassing well of course you know and and, and it's still like it, in a weird way, it's, the Invisibles actually still does work for me in the series, but almost because of all the nostalgia. Like I don't just read the comic; I read the comic, and I'm like, I was here when I read this. Mm-hmm. I like this was going on in my life when I read this, and it comes with all that baggage, which helps it. Mm-hmm. But there's so much, especially in the Invisibles, that is just, you know. You look at it now from from today's point of view, and you're just like, "Oh shit!" You know, what were we all thinking? And also, yes, with the best in the world, this was transgressive back then. But now it's like, what? We all thought if we put on like you know a rubber top and shaved our heads and ran around like saying situationist slogans and calling people trannies that we were we were doing something. Oh shit! <laughs> you know. <laughs> there, there, there's, there's a lot. It's very much of its time. Well, and Doom Patrol less so, right? Although I think it, it actually becomes more of its time as it gets towards the end, because mm. you have like, you know, the final storyline is essentially like, have you heard of Chaos Science? <laughs> have, you, have you heard of the Mandelbrot set? Yeah. Um, which you know, again, you look at it from today's point of view, and you're like, oh shit. <laughs> um, but it's, it's more. Honestly, Morrison's level of craft mm-hmm. uh, for for much of that series is lacking. Mm. Um, and when his level of craft actually does get bumped up, mm-hmm. he then like there are times where he's just like half-assing it. Mm-hmm. Um, after fifty, there's the whole like second brotherhood of Dada storyline. Oh yeah, which is which is like phoned in beyond compare. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you do get into like the dated stuff, so it it never, again, it never lives up to your memory of it. Mm. It, it it's the and entirely speaking for myself here, other people, your mileage may vary. Doom Patrol and Invisibles are both very much like the childhood romance that like you should never actually revisit too much in in detail. Interesting, I uh, because I seem to be super obsessive uh this evening i mean apart from when i'm not being just vitriolic and a hateful human being uh i was kind of thinking about how uh for myself talking about twin peaks the return for example one of the things that i find uh uh uh, challenging or interesting and frustrating is how much i love uh david lynch's work the first time through and the second time I go through it, I actually find myself kind of bored and restless and it doesn't land as much. And I, I couldn't I couldn't rewatch Twin Peaks this last time either. Yeah. The, the original show. Right. Exactly. Like and I and I totally get that. But it for me, like because I, uh, um, I I'm one of those dudes. 
even loved Inland Empire, which I found in absolutely enthralling. And I sat down to rewatch it and I was ridiculously restless. Like the only time I feel like this hasn't really happened with me with Lynch is if seriously enough decades have passed that I that it's like I can sort of you don't revisit, really remember. Yeah, like I can revisit uh, um, Lost Highway and Blue Velvet in particular in a way because it's like, oh, there's so much stuff that I just didn't take in the first time. But it's sort of almost like the more I pay attention to something so thoroughly and absorb it the first time, the more the second time I'm like, I'm I'm like restless and impatient in in part because I can't recreate that feeling of watching it for the first time. The only thing I can hope for is that there's another project from David Lynch and I get that. But like the, like I sometimes wonder because I have in shifting from periodicals to digital recollected so much Morrison and yet have revisited so little of it in a way. Or when I do, I find myself being like, Stuff that I really do think is brilliant and worth a revisit like The Filth, I'll start moving into it and be like, wow, I'm finding this really tedious. Mm -hmm. So I was actually curious if there was something about sort of the nature of Morrison, what we take from his Like the shock of the new. Yeah, that just doesn't, like none of his stuff really holds up. I don't know how much that's true because I revisited The Invisibles a lot as it was coming out, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I have read The Invisibles a number of times. Uh-huh. And honestly, reread it through, you know, maybe 2005, 2006. Right. Like, a lot. Like, really fairly obsessively. Mm-hmm. And it held up. Okay. And then... I I just didn't read it for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And when I returned to it, I had moved on or the world had moved on and it didn't hold the same level of I don't know. Um cuz it's not that it's and not it's not that it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. It's not that it's not ambitious. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. It's that it's working with such cliche mm-hmm. uh, that it really might like it might be the whole thing about you know people who grew grow up now will never fully understand what the Beatles were like mm-hmm. you know because we've all grown up on on the descendants of the Beatles mm-hmm. like there are so many things that the Beatles did for the first time that were shocking right or surprising or exciting. Mm-hmm. That are just part of like the DNA of music that we understand it now. That's right. And to an extent, Doom Patrol and to a lesser extent, The Invisibles really fall in that trap. Mm-hmm. Like they're like I said, you read Doom Patrol and you're like, oh, that's a uh, that's a Mark Miller beat, or you know, that's this trope. Mm-hmm. I, I I know what all these things are. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I, we've talked about this before with Alan Moore's work as well. Mm-hmm. Like you can't reread or even read. Swamp Thing now. Right. If you've grown up with any comic that has followed Swamp Thing, basically. Yeah. You know, because you're like, oh, sure, I've read this story before. It's just I read John Ostrander doing it five years later in Firestorm. Right. Right. You know? And so you'll never get the same experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but so The Invisibles has slightly a bit of that. But The Invisibles, like I said, really just have just the – every character is like a, a stereotype. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. or or a, a, a and not just a stereotype, but like a um like an embarrassing stereotype. Right. Like I can't get over I can't get over when you read it now how embarrassing Boy and Fanny are in particular. Mm. You know, it's just it it. The idea that Morrison, for me at least, was a progressive thinker and was seen as a progressive thinker by others, mm-hmm. and was seen as as challenging uh, portrayals of of a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, in popular culture, and then you read something like The Invisibles, and like Fanny is just like the very cliche of a queen, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, Fanny is, is a drag queen stereotype, a joke, a punchline that every now and again will be like, ah, but I know magic. <laughs> you know, well, okay. On the one hand, I, I agree with you. I think the thing to me that is interesting, cause, cause here now where we are in this year, the idea that, you know, here's Morrison who's trying to write about, you know, a transgender character and trying to talk about a, a, a character who magically avoids, transcends the trap of gender is kind of progressive and ambitious in conception. But it is very much the execution of things like Morrison has a at that particularly at that stage Morrison's uh, appreciation for for lack of a better term the idea of pop and pop in a antithetical is an antithesis to Moore's sort of leaden formalism like Morrison's kind of like a oh yeah 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 it's it's okay to be flat and in fact play up the flatness doesn't work as well like there's a way in which uh that is the 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 catch that has I think snared and may prove to be the undoing of a lot of artists from a certain era as we've kind of talked about with people like say John Lennon for example is that their their idea of themselves is like oh pop allows us to explore all these different ways of being and what it really ends up doing is kind of exposes the flatness of you know a straight-ish white male's idea of other cultures and ways of being in the world and kind of that idea of like oh but then you just play it off as a bit of a laugh is was kind of a you, you know what i mean like there's a there's a way well, of but, the but way like of that's, camp, that's i guess that, but that's just the problem with the invisibles in general yes the invisibles is a like cis white guys view of diversity Mm-hmm. And is 
utterly limited. Like I remember even when the series was coming out, being embarrassed for Morrison when he was like, This issue's all about boy. Yes. And boy is raised by with like a rapper for a brother, but he's a gangster. Yes. And he's all about the game and you're just like, What the fuck is this? <laughs> this is horrendous. Jesus right. Christ. Right. And but like looking at it from today's point of view, mm-hmm. You just realize that every character is like that. Oh, that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like every single character. Morrison has created like the two male presenting uh, protagonists in the series mm-hmm. are both Morrison's self-insertion figures. Yes. Right. And and everyone else is a prop to make Morrison feel like he's being daring about diversity. Well, I mean, in that... And, 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 Yes. And doesn't really go beyond that. And like it gets, it actually gets worse as the series goes on. But by the time you get to the final volume, like you have a new, uh, central male protagonist, you have Mr. Six, who's, who's like risen the ranks. Yeah. And he again becomes like, you know, this is who Morrison sees himself as now. And he's got like Helga, who's a model, Mm -hmm. but she's also super smart. And she probably makes bombs, but she fucks real good. And you're like, Jesus (laughs) fucking Christ. And, and read, like reading this stuff now, you're just like, was he literally wanking as he was writing this? Well, according to the letters columns, yes, well, but exactly, only yeah, to yeah. keep continuation of the series yeah, to prevent from being cancelled. You, you know what I mean? Like yes, there's, no, there's I so much of that that mm-hmm. is, is, and I, to be honest, may have been wildly visible in the first read through, and I just didn't know. Do you know what I mean? Like it literally could all have been there the first time, and I just, you know, twenty-two year old me is like, oh my god, this is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> And I literally, like, I just saw more of the worlds in between. Right. But rereading it, like, a couple of years ago or a year ago, whenever I did it, I just remember being like, oh, no. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, Grant, don't, don't, no, don't. just, oh, sh- oh, you did. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, but don't do, oh, no, but you did. Oh, fuck. Okay, really? Oh, no. <laughs> like, through the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. And there's lots of it. Like, I can't express how much in the second volume, there's the whole part where Quimper is living inside Robin's head. Yes. And, and there is like a three issue period where basically it looks like everyone is getting fucked up. Yes. Everyone is getting slightly creepier. Yep. And it helps that Chris Weissen's doing the art at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that like, gorgeous everyone, work. everyone's getting slightly creepier and everyone is getting slightly, um, They've all sort of losing track of who they were and, and the purpose of other mission slightly. And I can't tell you how much at the time that actually crept me out. Mm-hmm. That actually like days after reading the comics, I would feel like they were cursed objects. Mm-hmm. Do you know, I was like, I feel kind of sick after reading that. Right. Like I feel like something got in my head. Mm-hmm. And like that's how much that comic meant to me that's how how i saw that comic like reflecting my life and my life reflecting in that comic mm. and part of my embarrassment at reading it is is like oh god i was sucked in by this right well but yeah i get that i mean Not i get sure. that but that's sort of like a you've got an excuse i'm older than you and to to 
to counterbalance your embarrassing confession with my embarrassing confession, I think the the last of those Weston issues, certainly one of those Weston issues, I actually took to Burning Man and burned. I threw it on the man as it burned, which is like one of the most ridiculous 90s things that I feel like anyone can say, except I guess I, people I, are I, still doing I, it in 2017. I thought, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. You, should, you, say, tw- you say 2017. Oh, yeah, I did. Shit. All right. Well, we're in trouble. It is <laughs> bad news, Greg. I think I actually am getting a little feeble minded. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 2019. I don't know why well, what, I was. What I, yeah. Okay, Jeff, I'm going to tell you this now because I want to make you feel better. Um, my name is Greg. <laughs> my name is Greg. <laughs> I was signing various things this week, uh-huh. and I was like, you know, date and sign, date and sign, date and sign. At literally one point, I had some of signing twenty twenty. Oh, know nice! How. I went a year into the future. <laughs> you were just signing them for so long. It's one thing, and when I was, you... I was yeah. like, what is just like? I genuinely thought we were in twenty twenty. Yeah, you know, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> I, I, I've had a few little moments of like, ooh boy, I sure hope that this is like after effects from some recent recreational marijuana, or I'm in significant trouble. Uh, but anyway, yes. So back in the nineties, I burnt that issue. The thing that's funny is I don't know if it was again. There's that way in which Morrison was talking about that stuff of course as you know the black mass issues and the things where he was like trying to do the inversion and weirdly enough for morrison because he is uh clever enough with either his defensive strategies or he's so forthcoming with what he's aiming for you know he was very much like yeah i mean i i was doing the invisibles as a magic spell to like get myself a hot girlfriend and blah 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 saw myself as successful so i would make money and you know all that other stuff that he was saying at certain points Mm -hmm. um which Mm -hmm. who knows again could have been like obscuring the water is like no it it wasn't wish fulfillment it was it was it was intentional wish fulfillment. Exactly, you guys. that's what the sense essence of magic. Bring, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I um, like. I I get it. And the idea that you identified so strongly with it, and then you're like, oh God, it's terrible. Ah, like part of me is like, Graham, welcome to being old and a particularly yeah. middle oh, no, age. No, exactly. You know? no, ex- so, no, no, yeah, very much. So, so yeah, exactly. Literally. That's part of life. Yeah. But I mean, no, there and, was a... And being older than you, where it's like, again, I've touched on USS Callister. Like, I I do love the original Roddenberry Trek, and it was relatively recent in the existence of my lifestyle, of my lifestyle, my lifespan, where um, I think it might have been someone on Twitter who was like, yeah, fuck Roddenberry Star Trek, and breaks it all down and i was like oh and particularly also how that whole kind of concept spilled over the contempt for women spills into next gen and um deanna troy's character and the characterizations and the references i was like oh yeah wow this is this is very thorough this is very thorough and much more creepy and so it's kind of interesting exactly (laughs) this is much worse than i thought it was oh boy right but i mean that's kind of that deal of like you know so much of the stuff that i loved as a kid and it seems to run the gamut from peter parker to planet of the apes to star trek to beyond is just filled with um like toxic masculinity 
to return to my earlier key phrases, which really has a, in a way, shouldn't be surprising. Like, that's kind of this, like, like if you only let entitled white guys make the art, the vast majority of the art is going to eat. Even if they're doing something, and even if, or really underlying, especially because they are privileged white guys, their fantasies and and their art and their the the what they're breaking open and revealing to you is kind of a you know fucked up wriggling can of worms and. You know, the problem is, of course, back in the 70s, they were holding it up going like, look at me, I'm awesome. And then you're like 30 years later going, oh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, but, let's not. Yeah, let's not. But, you know, which is which is why I feel that that's, you know, again, why we need so we need to hear so many more voices, because no matter how you dress it up, it ultimately a lot, so much of it really does boil down to if the people are again, like, uh, yeah, it's not going to be a surprise at a certain point, I guess. I'm just, I'm just sort of fascinated the way at which it, like you said, it resonated with you at such a point that you were kind of like, Oh God, what does this say about me? You know? And I kind of like, I'm like, well, eh. You know, yeah, you're fine. Oh, you're fine. Right. Exactly. We're in year nine of talking about comic books with a strong emphasis on superhero comic books. So in a way, part of me is like, I, none of us are going to be bowled over by this shocking revelation that we are suckers for, you know, uh, eco fantasies, you know, but, um, you know, it's but it can still be kind of nonetheless a little a little distasteful i mean that's one of the things i think that actually wasn't it freud talked about the traditional ego fantasy like part of the way that you can recognize it is is that it's kind of um embarrassing to to talk about out loud or there's a certain feeling of um unease when other people hear the fantasy because it's just like oh oh god no don't don't say this out loud you know um, I just I, I'm always curious at the way in which, again, someone like, weirdly enough, good old Stan Lee is, uh, again, with stuff like Spider-Man, able to take that stuff and invert it because you get people who are, you know, all of a sudden they're the superheroes who are like, you know, oh, Spider-Man actually can't, you know, afford to pay rent or actually is flying around and sneezed in his mask and and still has to you know like stuff that it's sort of like the the level of irony that then begins to cut in so that it's like no 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 it's it's not an ego fantasy it's an ironic um deconstruction of a ego fantasy aka that's how the majority of us are actually able to honestly experience anything in art these days you know what i mean is like oh we get we i'm having the ironic deconstruction so that i can actually have it but let everyone know that i know that it's okay that it's not okay to have it you know so, yeah exactly yeah, exactly yeah that, 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 like you know i'm already i'm already already myself myself from this from the stage which is which is uh all souls very important important to me what's great is I started, I started. You did at the beginning of it. So it really is like, I'm like, that's so 
incomprehensible what you just said, Graham. Do you want to hold on for like two or three minutes and then no, you can actually say it again? Are you sure? No, yes, okay. Please say it though, because I'm I'm very curious as to what what it was. Do 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 poop poop do 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 do. I honestly kind of remember what I was saying as well. Which is the oh no, no, I don't want to lose that because I felt no, like I, I was I really genuinely don't remember. Oh, no, Graham. Uh, well, I'll tell you this wasn't, wasn't worthwhile. Graham I'll tell you that right now. Really? Okay. Yeah. All it, right. it, whatever I was saying be, be, when I started going fizzly, I, even as I was saying it, I was like, "This, I'm not adding anything to this." So. <laughs> Well, that's okay, because Jeff isn't adding anything to what Jeff's saying. Graham McMillan, yes. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Uh, Has it been raining in, in San Francisco? I, no, no. I No, metaphorically, Graham. Keep up with me. It's I feel much better. I'm a lot, I'm a lot less cranky. Way. You're exactly. welcome. Yeah, thank you. You just did feel like a meme for two hours. I did. I like like anyone who's just gone and abused their spouse for uh you know an hour and a half. No 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 no. I I I'm just weirdly dark. <laughs> I know. No I was like uncomfortably dark. I know. I was as soon as I said it, I was like, oh Jeff, no, that's wrong. I, I do like, I do feel better. I do apologize to you, Graham. No, it's I was... I, we've already gotten through the part where I was like, why am I actually not hanging up? Do I have that little self respect? Was, I, we, was we, I really that abusive to you? Was I really that abusive to you? I, I'm, it's it's over, it's done, we're moving on. Oh man, that means yes. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I will have to be making some amends later on uh, to Graham, to poor Graham, and I do yeah, apologize. I'll be making some donations to my favorite charities. Yes, give me a list. I will, because I feel, <laughs> I do, I feel quite bad. I feel quite bad. See, here's the thing. You're going to edit this tomorrow. Yes. So you, like, then you'll actually know whether or not you were. Like, it's not like you'll do this and you're just doubts. Like, you actually get to hear this conversation again tomorrow. Well, I mean... I mean, in all due respect, I know I was being pissy, but I was also kind of like, it's that weird and it's the unfortunate thing with my family where we're playful in a way that people are like, ah, and it's like, no, it's okay. We're just playing. It's like, ah, I mean, that's the thing with entertaining my parents. It was growing up. It was a little bit of a blood sport. So, so part of me is I like, I would tell this, Jeff, there were two parts in tonight's recording where I was genuinely upset. And whatnot, I think it's audible. Uh, when you said, like, I'm actually hanging up now, or, oh, here's the point where I hung up, I'm like, oh, ha, 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 wait, are you serious? Wait, wait, and then we're... That wasn't one. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay. Graham, again, please. It's uh, I, I, No, 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 it's no, 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 no. I am Walter the Softy. You are Dennis the Menace. <laughs> I, I am Walter the Woodblot. <laughs> you are Judge Dredd. This actually sounds like wedding vows. I uh, and and I am. I just want to say, I am sorry. I really am. I'm genuinely. I genuinely am. Those those oh various God. archetypes aside, it really was not my intention. No, I know. Jeff, I know. No, I know. But uh, but but that doesn't necessarily that doesn't Jeff, a make it, it right. It deserves an apology. It deserves I, an apology. I, Genuinely this should be the Patreon example. This should be the Patreon excerpt. Me trying to apologize to you and you deflecting it. It's okay. Be, Grant, Jeff, there's no reason to apologize because I'll never forgive you on the one hand. But also, it's okay. It's all right. Uh, I've already forgiven you 
but also never. I, I never will. Yeah. <laughs> You're familiar with the McMillan family way. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Which is why I'm doubly sorry, because it is, it's like the original sin that will never wash clean. So. Oh my God. Jeff, do you know we're over two hours? Yes. I mean, you obviously do know because we've, we've had to call back twice. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're like, we're honestly approaching like two hours 30. I know. Um, is there, we, we should probably should wrap up, right? Yeah. That's I, what I think. I, I, Unless honestly, there's news. I, honestly, did you want to talk about? Was there, there anything? Was, there honestly was so much news I wanted to talk about. I'm not really? joking. Really? Just yeah. run down the highlights. Okay, the biggest thing I want to talk about is you saw that Second Coming's not coming out from Vertigo anymore, right? Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that. That probably would have been better when I was like trying not to complain about Mark Russell's Wonder Twins. But yes, Second Coming, um, yeah. Did you perhaps see... Uh, you probably haven't, in fact. Um, so Mark Russell came out as soon as the news broke and said, I asked for the rights back. It's me. DC did nothing. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, Dan on Facebook was like, he did ask for the rights back, but he asked for the rights back after DC asked for edits, and he didn't want to make them. Mm. Well, that's so, fair. I mean, because I think I think both parties have have done the right thing, if that makes sense. That's right. Like, I think DC's with it well within the rights to ask for edits. I think Mark Russell's well within the rights to say no. And giving him the rights back at the end of that, it seems like an honorable thing. It does. I agree. And uh, I remember seeing you comparing it to the situation with Garth Ennis's The Boys. Yeah. Is there... Yeah. It, so there, who's... I'm sorry, who ended up picking up Second Coming then? No one has yet. Oh, I see. Interesting. It has not been announced. Okay. I will tell you mm-hmm. that... After I said that, someone reached out to me and was like, please do not, please shut up about this. Please <laughs> shut up about this. Because I happen to know that people are waiting uh, to, ha- to have conversations about Second Coming. Please do not say anything. Wow. Okay. So is so, this bad that we're talking about it here or do you think we'll be okay? I think we're fine because I okay. was like, I was literally talking about, I talked about two very particular publishers. Ah. In- with second coming and i'm guessing and Mm -hmm. i should say right now that the person talking to me did not come from either publisher oh interesting okay i'm guessing that we will get an announcement about second coming sooner rather than later gotcha um but yeah it was was a weird thing but the reason i I want to bring up second coming is holy shit vertical's relaunch is fucked right is it why what what happened was it just the sales numbers are terrible no Border Town was the first book of their seven new series. Right. And that's gone. Second Coming was the last book of their seven new series, and that's gone. Right. Right. Well, but I mean, admittedly, for reasons outside the realm of sales, if the other five do great. But that's, yeah, but just in terms of like. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Mm-hmm. optics that does not look good well let's be after this in the batman dark the thing that's interesting is is like dc which in some place some ways i feel has been better than it's been in a couple of years still has some shitty looking optics from the outside you know oh something else i should talk about because i mentioned dan Didio's, uh facebook very quickly um there's a story in bleeding cool today that dc is going to drop all its superhero books 22 titles a month and uh, Didio has already denied that on facebook oh uh, shit like immediately mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. like that's not true mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, why oh shit do you want them to drop 22 books a month uh honestly i think that the marketplace would be healthier and by the marketplace sadly i don't mean 
the people who are being paid to write and draw and edit comics, but in terms of the number of titles hitting the marketplace and retailers, I feel that the, that, that the marketplace would be better served if DC and, but even more, especially Marvel, we're turning out fewer titles. Oh, Marvel's gonna no. Marvel's gonna go completely in the upside. No, 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 no. Marvel's I, gonna hit like one fifty titles a month I'm, before the end of the year. I'm sure that you are absolutely right. I'm, but what I'm saying is, is that yes, I do think that that would be a good. I, I, it would be great if the publishers corrected before the marketplace corrected, because I don't think that the mark, you know, the marketplace is is has started to become more and more euphemism for fragile ecosystem, I guess. Well, so what's what's fascinating about you saying that is I saw as soon as that bleeding cool story came out, I saw a bunch of retailers going like this is a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. If they do this I, if they do this, I'm going to take a real hit. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it, I'm I'm curious as to what the basically I'm curious A where the rumor came from and B what the thinking was, assuming it was a real discussion that went on at DC. Right. Especially if they decided not to do it. Right. Right. Um, because they have been significantly pulling back on their titles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we'll see. Well, we will, we will see exactly what, if anything, happens to DC's books moving forward. Uh, the most interesting part about that Bleeding Cool story was not that DC was going to be publishing less comics, but it was going to be publishing less superhero comics for the direct market. Hmm. And it would be publishing more material like the Walmart books or the Target book, mm-hmm. hmm. which is, yeah, that's, that's something I'd, I'd be really curious to see if that actually happens or not. Uh, at the, at the risk of, um, tumbling us into an area that, that, uh, A, you may not feel comfortable talking about and B, I freely admit to not understanding, doesn't that sort of point to, Continuing, considering the fact that the cuts at DC, which were not as substantial as initially feared, but were also tied more to DC, the DC product line or the Warner Brothers product line division, um, doesn't that suggest a uh, the idea that 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 the comics and the product division are rumored to be getting closer together not no it was just the opposite the oh, DC, okay. Collect- dc collectibles was essentially stripped away from dc altogether and put into warner brothers products ah uh, i see but wasn't wasn't a bunch of the other layoffs didn't they happen under product in the products division or am i wrong on that i believe you're wrong on that oh, okay all right then uh, don't mind me i apparently have been hallucinating again since it's the year 2017. Uh, and, uh, oh, but, but think 2017, we were all so much younger than I had hair. <laughs> I didn't have hair. You did have hair, Graham. You did. I did. Not really. <laughs> not, not, not in any appreciable manner. Not in any way that anyone would look at me now and be like, oh, you've got much less hair now. Nope. I will tell you this. I will tell you this because I was looking at some photos. Uh, I looked significantly younger three years ago than I do Is that do because now. you didn't have the beard? N- no, I still had the beard. You know, what it was was I, I changed my job duties at work. And <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking. You've become a shell of a man since then? Seriously, I look like I, I aged about, uh, I don't know, five the, years. The, the reason I asked about the, the beard is 
on Facebook, I think your avatar doesn't have a beard. Oh, yeah, it's or, true. Yeah, it's, and if you actually look like a different person. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I really do need to update that. I And, you know, I mean, apart from the fact that, A, I really don't do anything on Facebook, but B, and I'll be honest, I've actually thought about rather than changing overnight and freaking people out, it's like, do I go and cherry pick photos from the last, like, seven or eight years and slowly start aging my avatar up like oh, over the course of like a few months funny. so so that it isn't just suddenly a ah because otherwise it's like but again it's moot because i'm i'm moot man uh it, any any other news i mean don't get me wrong i'm happy to talk about i feel beard, but... there was and yet it is completely gone it, uh, you are thinking about DC's Lucha Libre action figures, which you mean the great. ones that I got to, I I got to announce yesterday, and I saw, and I was really fucking excited about. Oh, that's great! I didn't realize so, you're yeah yeah. yeah that's THR had the announcement, and Ooh. we uh, I got the I got the the photos like maybe on Monday, wow. and I just lost my shit. Yeah, they look <laughs> like oh my god, fabulous. Yeah, I I love them. I have to say, I loved. I was like, oh, I've really given up on figures, but those those Lucha Libre thing, uh, DC. What are they actually called? They're called. I'm trying to find the the email now. Uh, they're called Lucha Explosiva. <laughs> really? That's what they're called. Wow, that's Lucha great. Explosiva. Um, and it's it's not just like I. I don't know if you've seen the official PR. It's not just like different costumes. The idea is that it's different characters with different backstories. Mm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Which is also a great idea. So. Um, yeah. So it's it's uh, characters inspired by in the first wave: Superman, Metalo, Wonder Woman, Cheetah, uh, Batman, and something else. I think is in there. Yeah, that's good. I couldn't figure out Metalo, and of course, I assume Cheetah was Catwoman. So, but uh, yeah, that's fabulous. Hang on, I trying to find out. Was where's the? Okay, here's the. No, that's not the official PR. Um, Batman, Deathstroke, Superman, Metalo. Oh right, Wonder Deathstroke. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. The Deathstroke one was good because Deathstroke is it's such a it's such a lucha libre mask. So they're like, yeah, so we'll just take off his shirt. It's great. Yeah, it's so great. I mm -hmm. don't know who designed them. They look like um, oh god, I've forgotten the guy's name. Raphael, Grandpa. Mm. Is that what I'm thinking of? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you will have to put images of them up in the show notes because they these toys look genuinely amazing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I can't think of any other news. We should wrap this up, Jeff. We really are like two and a half hours. Yes, absolutely. Okay, Graham. Go. There will be show notes for this episode. God knows how Jeff is going to do show notes for this episode, but they are going to be up at waywellpodcast.com while you are reading those show notes, which Jeff's probably going to put up on Sunday because he's really good like that, unlike me. Um, <laughs> you know, check in on the Tumblr, waywellpod.tumblr.com. Check in on Twitter account at waywellpodcast. Check in our Instagram account, instagram.com forward slash waywellpod. Also, Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D and I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. -E -E More importantly, we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff 
gets his old song and dance on right now. Yes, I do. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, actually, before I do, I wanted to say, Graham, I really admired um, the cleverness of, for Valentine's Day on the Wait What Pod Tumblr, you doing the three different sets of Mr. Miracle Big Barda love scene panels, essentially. Um you're welcome. With the same caption. Really well done. I mean, I think you do a great job on the Tumblr anyway, which is part of why I'm too daunted to do anything, slash also on You crazy. should 100% please step in, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I wanted to ask you, Graham, uh, did you have a favorite out of the three? Or do they all mean different things to you in different ways? Or They all mean different things for me in different ways, but of those three, um, I think my prob- favorite is probably the Kirby. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but the King Garads one, I like. I just love their relationship between Scott and Barda a lot. Yes, I do like, too. I, I, do I find too, yeah. it very, very meaningful. I find it very touching. Yeah. Um, and, and the Ebony Rude one is just, honestly, it's Rude's art. Like, it, oh it's, god, yeah. it's, it's it's such a beautiful. Have you got? Have you read that comic? Have you got that? Comic? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, unfortunately, it's gone. But yeah, no, 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 no. That was one of those comics that I bought on the stands back in the nineties, eighties, nineties, whichever. I was in LA. Oh, okay. Was I? God, was it eighty-seven? Shit, I wasn't yeah. even in Los Angeles, and I just. You know, those comics that you just read like six or seven times because the art is just so lovely. It's like it's like taking a warm bath or something. It's really great stuff. Uh, yes, <laughs> that's actually the worst segue ever. Actually, now I was thinking, I'm like, speaking of taking a bath, let me talk to the people who give us money. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, it's like, huh, hello, my name is Jeff Lester, and I'm apparently self-destructing before everyone's eyes. I I want to thank everyone for listening to us, not nearly as much as I want to thank Graham McMillan for being the most patient podcasting oh co-host God. ever. But uh, but definitely, All I appreciate this it. Nuts. If this episode is shorter than two and a half hours, Jeff has felt really, really bad about something he said and cut something out. I do, I do love the idea that you're going to be like, it's going to be like you, like, listeners, just know like, oh that if this episode is shorter and suddenly it's me going 15 minutes, you'll know that something has happened. Exactly. I, I honestly just like the idea that you're going to edit this. And it's, it's going to be like basic edits, like getting rid of the ums and everything. But the episode's going to come out at like 2.10. And that'll set up. People are like, what did Jeff say? That would be great. Everyone's like, God, that was the worst. The weird part is I'm still convinced that this is going to be a weirdly hilarious and entertaining episode for people, which oh, probably shows you how I, I honestly I think that everyone else will love it. Yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. As you're like as I'm like, so anyway, Graham, now that we're off mic, you're like, click. Uh so um yeah, anyway. <laughs> We really appreciate you listening to us because apparently it helps keep this dysfunctional relationship sort of more or less on track on a professional basis, which is important for me and probably important for Graham to escape from. But that's probably an issue for another time slash <laughs> episode closer. Uh, so we're grateful, by which I mean I certainly am grateful. And we're also especially grateful to the people in Patreon who are kind enough to throw us a little bit of their um, – Throw their mother boxes at us if I can if I can meld yeah, the Kirby that. with my yeah so that that that's that's a great way to put it and uh, especially 
Um, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we're especially grateful for her continuing support of this podcast and this galaxy. But you're all tremendous people, uh, especially the person that I'm about to return this to, Graham. Wait, who are you giving it to, Jeff? You! You! The the thing! Oh, I'm passing it on to you! Go, go with... Oh, God. Go with the joke. Jesus. <laughs> Jeff Lester. Um, we're going to be back... Oh, Jeff, two when weeks. are we going to be back? Skip two weeks? weeks? Yeah, I think so. That's my understanding. Okay, apparently, apparently we're going to be back in two weeks. Are we? Yeah. I'm going to have to look at the calendar now. Like, oh, shit. Well, the reason I'm saying this is, are we almost... Yeah, no, it is. It's two weeks. And then... Good lord, that's exciting. Yeah. Okay, I guess we're going to be. I guess we've got a skip week next week. I honestly thought we didn't. I honestly thought we were recording again next week. You know. Why not? You don't need to care about this. <laughs> you don't need to care about this at all. Just because I got the schedule wrong. February has clearly been like faster than I thought. I honestly thought there was like three more weekends in February. Oh my god, really? Okay, well that's not surprising, well, but yeah. January also took like seven years, so I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks. Uh, we will have a wait. What? We will. Jeff will be in a better mood. I we hope so. And but hope. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, maybe I'll be in a bad mood that time. Yes, that's happened before too. We can. Yeah, we can just swap off. Yeah. Like, it, we can. Twenty nineteen could be the year of the Grouch cast. <laughs> I don't think that it would be good in execution, but I have to say I'm deeply in love with the phrase Grouch cast. I really want that. You Patreon extra. Oh my god, we should just like... No, I'm, I'm stopping with the terrible ideas to give Patreon people. Patreon, I really am going to give you the the song, the, the other uh, music for the, the podcast. Everything else, though, don't believe me. I'm not going to give you a grouch cast. Nobody it's needs to hear it. Well, it'd be next. great because we could both be... Like, you could put a little audio filter and we're like, I'm coming to you from a garbage can. You know? <laughs> Okay, we're going to Grouch Cast now just so Jeff can do his Oscar the Grouch impression. Otherwise, we're going to talk to you in two weeks. Bye! <laughs>